Willkommen, bienvenue, konnichiwa, ni hao, jambo, morhaba. It's time for the Army Inquisition, episode 214 on Sunday, the 9th of January 2022. I'm Amish Phil. I'm Amish Ben. And I'm Amish Matt. And we've got Harry Shapiro with us. How are you doing, Harry? Very well. Thank you very much. Yeah, doing thanks. good. Doing good. Yeah, thanks for joining us. Um, one of our listeners uh, who was in the Discord chat, Nicholas, was it? I think it was Nicholas. I think so. Sent us a copy of your book and said, get this guy on the podcast, he'll be great. And uh, I read your book, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, but, yeah, but I think before we get into the book, maybe you should tell us a bit about your background and your, your backstory, your, your expertise. Wow. Okay. <laughs> We've so, got an hour, um, so it's fine. You know. Yeah, I, um, I actually trained as a librarian uh, and... Um, See, I've had, I've had sort of parallel careers, really. I've had most of my work in life has been working for, for drug charities in the UK, not not providing, you know, counselling or rehab or any of that, but basically doing information policy, communications work, which I still, which I still do. Um, and the, the other bit is, is music biographer. Mm. So I've got a whole separate career writing about people like Jimi Hendrix and Eric Clapton and Gary Moore and Jack Bruce and basically people from the 60s and 70s. Um, And um, I was researching a book about a musician called Graham Bond from the 60s who had a heroin habit. This was in the late 80s, 70s, sorry. And I knew nothing about heroin addiction. So I started reading up about it was bored in the job that I was in, which was working in some library in central London for some architects. I um, saw this job at this place called the Institute for the Study of Drug Dependence. They were looking for an information officer. And I thought, okay, well, I know a little bit about heroin now. Maybe this is good enough. <laughs> uh, and so I went and got the job and got it, much to my surprise. So I've been working in the field literally since the the autumn of 1979, working for different charities in different capacities and freelance since 2015 when the last of these charities like fell over through lack of money, as charities often do. Um, so, so, yeah, I'm a writer, I'm an editor, I'm a journalist. I do quite a lot of public speaking. I do stuff like this. Um, and I suppose really the kind of, thing about all of this is all all of the work that I've done really has been in support of getting people to understand about drugs, to understand about addiction, to understand about harm reduction, for instance, Um, really trying to sort of tackle prejudice and ignorance, um, particularly when it comes to the media. Um, I've had all sorts of interesting 
<laughs> discussions with journalists and radio presenters when they start using words like junkie and stuff like that. And, I, you know, I just challenge them all the time on some of that stuff. Um, and like I say, the other the other side of the, the coin has been all the kind of, I suppose it's not it so happens that quite a lot of the musicians I've been writing about have also had drug problems, but I think that's, that's coincidental um, and kind of goes with the job description, I think. Um, so, yeah, so that I've been the other thing I've been doing, which is probably worth mentioning, since about 2015, I've got quite involved in the world of tobacco harm reduction. In other words, e-cigarettes, vaping, all of that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah well done. Uh, <laughs> and working with agencies um, aiming to promote this for those people who seriously cannot give up the nicotine but would rather not die of lung cancer. What do you think about um, the um, all the flavour bans in the US then, Brian? Because a lot of people who want to quit cigarettes uh, obviously want that. Yeah, that range available to them, and the FDA are just ripping, ripping the it's industry insane. apart at the moment. It's absolutely insane. The WHO needs a, a massive smack on the ass for this, <laughs> because what they're essentially doing by encouraging countries to ban, you know, heated tobacco products and vapes and all the rest of it, is they're just handing it back to the tobacco companies. Because mm. I mean, what are people going to do if they can't get this stuff? Or well, they've been thinking about switching. And then they realise that they, you know, the flavours have been banned, and they'll just carry on smoking. I mean, it's, it's just absolutely criminal what's going on in that world, um, which no doubt will be the subject of another book at some point, I reckon. <laughs> I, we yeah, so were talking a while ago about the vape wars, and was it was it a case of um, sort of uh, regulating vapes? out of existence in favour of iQuash devices, heated tobacco no, devices? It, no, iQuash is a heated tobacco product which is operates from a different principle yeah. from e-cigarettes and vapes. But nevertheless, they are both, according to Public Health England and lots of other credible organisations, you know, 80, 90, 95% safer than cigarettes. And that's really yeah. kind of all I need to know <laughs> in terms of, you know, I mean, yes, the big tobacco companies are involved in the production of these, but small people are as well. Mm -hmm. I don't care who's doing it. You know, I really don't. Um, uh, you know, it, it doesn't matter who's producing this stuff any more than it matters who's producing electric cars as long as we finish up with yeah. electric cars and less petrol. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that that's where the kind of where I'm coming. And so, I've, you know, I've written about it, I've done conferences and, and, and all pretty much the same as I've been doing for the drugs world for the last 40-odd years. Could you... Uh, but, but, sorry, so, sorry. Yeah. Something else. Yeah, go on. Sorry, Harry. Could you elaborate a bit more about... You said you mentioned the WHO and, and their role when it comes to vaping. Well, they're not showing leadership. The, the, this is a... You know, you've got 8 million people die every year from smoking-related diseases across the world. Um, even the WHO reckon a billion people probably die from smoking-related diseases by the end of the century. And here you have um, a really disruptive technology, a really disruptive technology that's come along and demonstrated that you can consume nicotine, which is a relatively benign substance, without all the crap, 
from setting fire to a cigarette. And you would think that as leaders in public health, they would look at this and say, well, that's fine. You know, let's add that to the armoury or toolbox or whatever of trying to get people to switch away from cigarettes. But they don't. What they do instead is they say, this is just a big tobacco conspiracy to get kids hooked on cigarettes. If you look at the States, teenage smoking has been falling for some years and is still falling. So even though vaping is going up, smoking is going down, young people are not switching to cigarettes because of vapes. Um, And you get an organisation like Bloomberg Philanthropies that is pouring millions and millions of dollars into anti-vaping, anti-tobacco harm reduction campaigns uh, in America and across the world. Um, And like I say, the WHO, who to all intents and purposes are a credible source of public information about health, you know, everyone listens to them around COVID and stuff like that. Um, But when it comes to this, what they are doing is a war against nicotine. Yeah. I think it's more more than just a war against smoking, a war against tobacco. It's actually a war. They actually don't want people to consume nicotine. And I think, and so that's a moral agenda. That's not a public health position as far as I'm concerned and the people who think like me. Well, that that was something that came over in the book about different people's uh, imperatives, talking about drugs more wide, widely and how we should mm. uh, legislate them or treat pe- treat them or treat people who are addicted to them, is that you, you did mention, I think David Davis was maybe one of the Conservative MPs you mentioned who was more of this moralistic mm. standpoint, um, whereas you, you and I, I think, would be coming from a, more of a harm reduction strategy in that prohibition never seems to have worked and this as, as from time immemorial people have been trying to alter their consciousness for one mm-hmm. you know for one reason or mm-hmm. another and when you outlaw substances substances you immediately create a black market but you what you also do is create stronger versions of what you were trying to ban so you start off with coca leaves and then you get then you get cocaine and then you finish up with crack. Uh, the same sort of stuff has happened with cannabis, you know, because we haven't taken a more liberal, relaxed, proportionate, whatever you want to call it, response to cannabis. You finish up with, with synthetic cannabis style drugs. It's not really synthetic cannabis, but the stuff that gets called spice, basically, that kind of zombies people out and you get these pictures of blokes flat out on park benches and stuff like that. And all of that, to my mind, is unnecessary. Mm-hmm. You know, there never would have been a market for that no. really horrible stuff. It's, um, uh, it's an interesting juxtaposition in the States because you have all this fight against nicotine, like you say at the moment, and yet they're mm-hmm. going the other way on on recreational cannabis, at a state level at least. Yeah, I mean, it is, it, well, I think that, um, as far as I'm aware, the federal government, don't support the legalisation of cannabis. But America is a very special place because it's got states' rights. And if the the voters in Canada, uh, California, Oregon or Wisconsin or whatever decide they want to legalise cannabis, there's absolutely nothing that the federal government can do about it except make life difficult. (laughs) So they 
can stop the banks from taking the money that the dealers make. You can't transport your drug from one state to another, even if the adjacent state has also legalised cannabis. <laughs> so they, make, they do make, they try and make life as difficult as possible. But people say to me, well, can't we do that here? And I say, well, it's a bit like Yorkshire decided to legalise cannabis. You know, you can't, you can't do it. I don't think there's a country in the world that I'm aware of where you can have bits of the country doing stuff that the federal government say, you know, cannabis is illegal in federal law. Um, but in certain states it isn't. And I'm not sure there's anywhere else in the world where you could actually do that. Maybe Australia, I'm not sure. Um, but um, I think maybe Australia might be the closest. But then again, they're so anti-vape. I can't possibly imagine them what going a, down. What about, the, what about the UK? What if Wales decided <laughs> to uh, legalise cannabis? Because well, it we... can't. It no, can't no. because the devolved governments have only got certain powers. Right. So, for example, the Welsh government can decide it wants to have a totally different COVID restriction policy to England, the same with Scotland, Northern Ireland, but there are various bits of the law that are still within the gift of Westminster. So Wales couldn't decide to go down that route. The other thing, of course, to say is that the actual police discretion as to how they administer the law is very open. I mean, the, the way policing happens in this in, in the UK is chief constables can decide what their priorities are. So there used to be a chief constable in Wales called Brunson or Brunston. can't remember. It's, I think it's something like that. And he was, he was actually quite open about relaxing the laws on drugs. But he was absolute demon when it came to, to drink driving and speeding. Now, if you caught speeding in North Wales, they'd probably throw the key away. <laughs> but, but, you know, it was really quite liberally minded when it came to sort of, yeah, well, we're not going to start chasing cannabis users all over the place. It's just not worth our time. So chief constables have that discretion, as do your police on the streets. Have a lot of discretions to how they administer all sorts of offences. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, include, including drugs. I think the the latest I've heard on that is um, Bristol, the the chief constable of Bristol Force, Bristol and Avon. I think they are, um, or Avon and Somerset, isn't it? The force down there. Uh, they were deprioritizing the you know the stop and arrest of of people for you know carrying can small quantities of cannabis. They're just not yeah. doing it, and as a result, I only know this uh, off the back of a story because someone was complaining about the amount of. Cannabis they could smell walking down the street in Bristol. <laughs> so that was, you know, it was explained to them that that was what the, the policy was currently in yeah. in that area of the world. So, yeah. It's... Well, we're having the same argument in London at the moment because the Mayor of London has decided that there are three London boroughs. I mean, the, the, this has been misrepresented. They, they, they talk about Sadiq Khan decriminalising drugs. Well, you can't, you can't. And the only people who can decriminalise drugs are MPs in, in, in Parliament. But I think he's certainly asking the police in those boroughs to sort of, you know, not arrest people and, and, and you know, and, and stuff like that. And I, I don't know. I mean, the, the, the thing that I, I often say, and I said this to the LBC or talk radio or someone a couple of nights ago, is that we don't have a national drugs debate. 
there is no national drugs debate in this country because it takes two sides to have an argument. And so you, you've got all the people who want law reform and they write the op-eds and the comment pieces and the blogs and the tweets and the, all of that stuff. And the other side is either silence or the government, and not just this government, um, no, any government I can ever remember, basically say, um, no, <laughs> we're not doing it. We're not, we're not going to talk about it. We're not going to get into a debate about it because if we get into a debate about it, then that gives it a certain amount of credence and, and credibility that it's a subject that's up for discussion. Yeah, there's a risk logic will prevail, I guess. <laughs> I, you see, I, I think it's... I think people don't want to talk about it. I mean, I think drugs is regarded still by... Yeah, most people in the UK don't use drugs. I mean, if you take out alcohol and tobacco and caffeine, most people don't smoke dope, shoot heroin, eat, eat MDMA, but they don't. They don't. And nobody really wants to talk about it because it's all a bit disreputable and dirty and, and ugh, you know, we, we don't want to go down that way. Um, cannabis, probably somewhere in the middle, although there was a YouGov survey a couple of years ago, an independent YouGov survey, and I think they asked people some questions about law reform of cannabis. And 15% of people said they don't know. And I actually found that quite amazing, considering the drug's been in general circulation in the UK since the 60s. Yeah. But there's still large... And I think if you extrapolated that across the country, a lot of people would say, well, we've heard that it's stronger these days, but we're not entirely sure. And it, people just don't... Don't know. If we had a referendum on, is it, you see, drug law is quite complicated. If you had a referendum on this, you'd have to say, you want it, yes, or do you want it, no. Yeah, and, it has to be a simple it, question. You can't start having subtleties and nuance in this, but it is a very nuanced subject. When you talk about legalisation, legalisation decriminalisation, then people talk about depenalisation. And it's all a bit kind of fuzzy and people don't really... Un I mean, people get confused about whether you need to wear a mask or not. I'm... Let alone, you know, <laughs> let alone some fairly complicated bits of law around... Uh, around this so i was just going um, to say sorry that uh, yeah, can you clarify because i'm always confused what decriminalization and legalization and what was the other one depenalization what's the <laughs> okay. painful depenalization <laughs> is what we had between 2004 and 2009 right the blair government reduced cannabis from class b to class c yeah so the penalties for possession went down Mm -hmm. But because the police objected, the penalties for trafficking went up. Right. <laughs> so um, there was a bit of a kind of, you know, so reducing the penalties. So make it still within the criminal law, mm -hmm. still within the Misuse of Drugs Act, but you reduce the penalties. Mm -hmm. Which is a bit on paper anyway, because technically for a cannabis possession now, you could finish up in prison for five years, then nobody, it yeah. just doesn't happen. You know, you mm. get either a rap on the knuckles or a fine or something. Um, Decriminalisation is taking drug use out of the criminal justice system, and it would be the equivalent of uh, a civil penalty, like getting a parking right. ticket. 
something like that. So it's, you don't get a criminal record. No matter how many parking tickets you rack up, mm-hmm. um, you just keep getting fined. You won't get a criminal record. Um, so would that just cover possession then, decriminalisation? You would still have uh, the same... Well, you'd, well yeah, you'd have to, because yeah. people say, well, decriminalisation is the worst of both worlds. <laughs> Right. For the people who don't want this, yeah. because more people use drugs mm-hmm. and it's just open season for traffickers, right? Because, yeah. And then you get legalization, which is where you actually have a proper, like for alcohol and tobacco. Mm. So you have regulations, Regulation, yeah. you have uh, industry standards, you have, um, you, you know, you have licensing, you have, yeah. you know, VAT, to, but you, you have all the, all the stuff that tobacco companies and alcohol companies have to do, you know, whether yeah. you're a microbrewery or whether you're Diageo, you know, there's a whole thing around being able to produce, sell, market alcohol, and that's what a legal, which is what's happening in Canada, for instance, right. around cannabis and also some states in America. You know, you've got the whole mm. panoply of regulation and control around 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 cannabis. So it's quite clear what the difference is, but public messaging on that is is quite difficult for people to understand. So I'm going to be interested to see what happens in these three London boroughs because we had a similar experiment in Brixton in 2001 and everyone thought cannabis had been legalised. <laughs> um, you know, um, and there was still anecdotal, I don't know, a sort of, guys walking up the coppers and blowing cannabis smoke in their face and say, you can't do anything. <laughs> well, actually, they could, uh, and yeah. they did. Um, but, um, but so, yeah, it's, it's such a third-rail toxic mm. subject, and I still think a lot of politicians, there are a few, you know, a few Lib Dems, Nick Clegg, Clegg and one or two others have kind of put their head above the parapet on this, but mm. generally, I think it's still what they call a, hot button, third rail subject that uh, I don't think it's quite the political suicide that it it used to be thought of. Um, But as soon as Sadiq Khan opened his mouth about what he's going to do in three London boroughs, Keir Starmer in the very same interview, not the same interview, the same day, said he doesn't support it. So it's quite clear, and he was was director of public prosecutions at one time. Mm. So it's quite clear where Labour policy would, would be going in in this direction. They're not any more up for reform than than the Tories. Um, I was just going to ask as well, something that I don't know how much you know about this, but um, if you could comment around sort of what happened in Portugal, did it not get decriminalised in Portugal and what kind of the effects were? Yeah, Portugal is very interesting. And again, I think a certain amount of, not so much misinformation, but, but, there's more to the story than seems. Yeah. Up until 1974, Portugal was a military dictatorship. Mm. And what that meant was uh, even if you had tra- even if you had track marks on your arm, you didn't even have to be in any possession of any drugs, straight in, in prison. You know, do not pass go, <laughs> do not collect 200 quid, mm-hmm. you're in, bang, mm-hmm. shut the door, throw away the key. Uh, and the attitude hadn't really changed much after 74 when there was like a democratic government. So it was still pretty dicey being a, being a, a drug user, particularly a heroin user. What happened is their HIV and AIDS rates for injecting drug users went through the roof 
uh, at the same time as the UK had actually introduced harm reduction, induced needle exchange, methadone, all the rest of it, we finished up with the lowest rates. Mm. Portugal was amongst the highest because people just didn't want to come forward for treatment mm. for whatever treatment there was. And there wasn't much going then. It was, you know, you you get sent to some dodgy rehab somewhere. I mean, there, there wasn't much going about treatment anyway. So they just, So their policy was around trying to encourage people to come into treatment. And so they changed the law. They, changed, they were the first country to actually decriminalise possession of all drugs. It wasn't just heroin. Um, and the idea was that if you got caught, you'd be sent to this, I think they called them dissuasion committee, um, where you would be sort of taught the error of your ways or to whatever it was. Um, now, because they, because they changed the law, a lot more people came forward for treatment and they did get on top of their HIV and AIDS problem. The thing was, was that most of the people who were being sent to this dissuasion committee were actually cannabis users because they're obviously a hell of a lot more cannabis users than there are users of any other drug. Um, and I was never that convinced that they actually needed to go to some counselling or whatever. And also, I think, I think I'm certainly trapped, certainly did nothing about drug trafficking. So you were still, that's still illegal. And I've got a feeling that there is a sort of three strikes and you're out. I don't think you can continually be caught in possession and just kept running off and telling people you'd be a good boy next time. I, I, I don't think that that kind of works. I mean, Portugal has been held up as a kind of sort mm. of law reform beacon. Everyone keeps quote, quoting Portugal. Um, but as with all these things, it's not quite what it seems. It, it, Portugal does not have a sort of massive drug free-for-all, for sure. Mm. On the other hand, decriminalising drugs has not sent the rates of drug use through the roof, which is the other thing that people argue against. Say, oh, if you do this, mm. you know, kids will go mad and, and you know, there'll be drugs all over the place. Yeah. And I don't, think, I don't think that's true, not least because, by and large, people actually, I think the main reason why people don't use drugs is less to do with the law, more to do with the fact they're worried about what's going to happen to them. Yeah. <laughs> they're worried that if I take this pill, you know, mm. what, what's going to happen? Uh, am I going to be all right? Or am I... So I think there's more concern about from the health point of view than, than oh, yeah. It, it's one of those things you can never tell a negative. You can't tell how many people don't use drugs mm. because of the law. You can only see how many, you can, you can reasonably sure that the law doesn't have much impact on those people who either use drugs or have decided they're going to try or, or whatever. Mm. But I'm sure there's loads of people who don't use drugs because they don't want to get arrested, don't want to get in trouble with the law, they don't want a criminal record, they don't want all of that stuff. How many of those are, you know, who, who, who knows? Um, but so, yeah, Portugal is is interesting. I think they may well be the only country in the world that I can think of where all drug use has been up to certain quantities. I mean, you can't stagger around with two kilos in your back pocket <laughs> and declare that, you know, it's it for personal use. So there's probably certain limits to, to yeah. what you can 
yeah, what you can have. And of course, you know, you got somewhere like Holland where you could sort of smoke smoke dope in particular cafes. Uh, but even then, you see, what happens is if the politics change, the policies mm. can change. Yeah. So in Holland, for example, I think there's been changes of government and the policies have changed and the amount that you can possess has been coming down and a lot of places have been closed. Mm. Um, and, you know, you could get some dramatic right-wing government come into Portugal and they could decide, no, I'm not having all of this. Yeah. We're going to be tough on drugs. And mm. out it goes. Conversely, it can go the other way, you know. Uh, uh, countries, I mean, yeah, there are a number of countries have been thinking about changing the law, specifically on cannabis. I mean, Malta, Morocco, um, Jamaica maybe, you know, dot countries dotted around the world. Uruguay is an interesting It's illegal example. in Jamaica. <laughs> well, yes. <laughs> yeah, in theory. I know, it's ridiculous, isn't it? Um, I, I was just wondering as well how much, I suppose, this kind of um, change in thought and legalisation is actually driven by, you know, the research, by sort of saying, you know, are people actually addicted to this? What are the sort of like negative effects of smoking <laughs> cannabis versus... Um, well, let's just get rid of all this paperwork, basically. Uh, well, sorry, I'm not quite clear what your question is. Well, I suppose, I, 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 well, I was thinking about your book, really, in that, you okay. know, there's, there was that study, the study's going back to like the 30s, the 40s, the 50s, saying, oh, right. okay. yeah, there's yeah. not any particular yeah. reason why it should be illegal, particularly. Um, and I suppose how much of the current thinking is led by this, you know, yeah, the evidence base, or is it just because it's taken up too much of police time, you know, stopping and people and finding them or whatever. And you're not, they're not getting on with real crime and versus sort of like following the research. I think it's one of these classic political fudges Mm. that, um, First of all, you know, you only take, from a political point of view, you only take notice of the science that fits with what you want. Um, And we've seen this to a certain extent with with COVID, you know. We're following Mm. the science, we're following the science until the science tells them something they don't quite (laughs) like and it means shutting things down. Okay, no, we're not going to do that. We want to keep the economy going. So, you know, governments and science is always a bit of a bit of a, a it can be a bit of a dodgy marriage um but bearing in mind what i said about the way policing operates um chief constables and borough commanders and people like that set the priorities so um and i very much doubt whether there are any i mean we've got what i can't remember how many constables we've got 43 i think i can't imagine that many of them are likely to be uh i mean it's different with things like county lines and 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 stuff like that because they, they are getting you know and i'm quite pleased in a way that they've now started introducing you know pulling people up on things like uh human trafficking and child exploitation so they're using other bits of legislation not just the misuse of drugs act um but um I think you'll probably find there aren't that many constabularies, maybe rural rather than urban, possibly, who are really focused their attention on simple possession of 
drugs on the street, especially when we hear how stretched a lot of police forces are. And I don't believe it's ever really been uh, a top priority for the police in, 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 in the UK to just be, you know, people don't go, I mean, unless there are other mitigating circumstances, like you're caught with a bit of possession of cannabis and a Kalashnikov, you know, I think, but, but it's just in terms of simple possession on the streets. Um, uh, I'm not saying it never happens, but I should think the numbers of people who are actually going to prison for something like that is extremely, mm. extremely few compared to the number of people who are using the drug and all the rest of it. So it is the political fudge where they don't necessarily want to start legalising stuff or changing the law because, you know, the Daily Mail would be on their back and the Daily Express and, you know, the the media would be on them like a ton of bricks. They get mm. swat, social media would explode, you know. And there's a real, polit- a, what I would call, real politique. So for these things to happen, there has to be political will. There has to be a political will for, for, for the law to change. And if you were a government minister, you would sit there and ask yourself, well, what's the win in this for us? You know, what? what is the win? Um, yes, OK, if we legalise cannabis, there's probably a fair amount of taxation coming our way. But if you price it too high, then people would just grow their own in the back garden, mm-hmm. which they can't do with tobacco. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think many people are making their own, brewing their own beer anymore. They're, you know, I think those no. days have probably it's booming, gone. It's booming, I think. <laughs> you know, I think there's probably not, you used to be able to buy these beer kits in boots. Maybe you still can, but i got a feeling yeah. that... Yeah, <laughs> offended. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah of course. Really but maybe oh, maybe you're yeah, talking to a niche, a niche but, group of uh, 30-something gentlemen. <laughs> But in, in the main, you know, so, you so you know, and you, then you've got to think, oh, okay, well, we've got to set up a kind of regulatory system, so there's going to be bureaucracy, um, uh, and we're going to get it. But on the other hand, we're going to get it in the neck from the, the popular press, uh, and it will send out a bad message to young people and, and, and all of that kind of stuff. So there has to be what I call there has to be a stress test for this kind of stuff, three-part stress test, which I think I mentioned in the book. Yes, you have to have the science and the clinical evidence on your side. There has to be political will. You have to think that you're going to get away with this politically. And there's a court of public opinion. Mm. And the best example of how this can spin on it, on its head is the example of the two young people who came to attention when their parents were giving them CBD to deal with multiple fits that these oh, poor yeah. kids were having. Yeah. Um, and nothing, none of the regular prescriptions were making any good at all. And they thought the only thing that's actually working is CBD. And one of the, one, the mother of one of these kids, they went abroad, bought some from Holland, came back into the country, and it got nicked off and by border force. Mm. And the balloon went up. Mm-hmm. They were on the Today program. Yep. The media were on their side. The politicians mm-hmm. are on their side. And what I found really quite interesting was the chief medical officer of the day, if you think we've had 80 years of refusal to accept there was any medical benefits to cannabis whatsoever, almost overnight. <laughs> yeah, scheduled to. <laughs> almost overnight. 
it's like, yes, there may be some medical evidence here yeah. that cannabis <laughs> can help certain conditions. Um, so you had you had all your ducks in a row at that point. Mm. Um, now this is not, and they did they rescheduled it, but you know it's still very hard to get a prescription in this country for for that, uh, and there's lots of ang- anguish about all of that. And I'm, I don't think the national, nice National Institute of Clinical Excellence, clinical excellence, or cost efficiency, as some people call it, <laughs> <laughs> have actually um, said that this is a you know a cost-effective, valid treatment for these things. Uh, so it's not you can't. I mean, I think some people thought they could stroll down to the GP and get them to prescribe a spliff, <laughs> and it's really quite worked out like that. So, but it's it's you know it's um, what should we say? Baby steps. Mm is what it is. And I think the other interesting development, which we were talking a little bit about before we went on air, was the uh, clinical research into the use of psychedelics mm. for um, PTSD, anxiety, and depression. MDMA um, as well. Yeah. Yeah. So MDMA and psilocybin mm. and ketamine mm. are all in the, in, in the mix at the moment. Um, uh, and, in the past, of course, there was quite a, a, a history behind LSD mm, being yes. used, uh, which, again, I talk about in, in, in the book, um, from the, you know, the famous discovery in 1943 when Albert Hoffman fell off his bike and thought, hello, there's <laughs> something going on here. <laughs> I didn't mean for this to happen. Uh, and then all sorts of clinical trials went on during the 50s and 60s um, until the Americans banned the drug in 1966 and all the clinical clinical trials you know came to us came to a stop at that point but again i mean there was i mean i have to say i suspect the the um ethical governance of the day was probably not really up to snuff uh <laughs> i mean doctors basically did what they like mm-hmm. um if they thought it was something that was going to work they tried it and there really wasn't much uh, I think much in the way, particularly in the UK, because the UK doctors have always had, um, you know, license to to not much do what they like, but but the the um, can't can't think of the right phrase now. I'm talking about the the their kind of authority over what they can, the right to prescribe. That's what I'm trying to think of. The right to prescribe has been pretty much a kind of you know, a kind of given, a basic principle of, of, of British medical practice. Mm. Um, and that's been yeah. that's been hard fought, hasn't it, by the, the doctors' unions and such and BMA, Absolutely. I guess, over the and years. And it's taken things like Harold Shipman, for example, to, uh, you know, to, to kind of knock that, back. that principle um, so that, you know, if you're going to give patients morphine in hospital now you've got to have like three doctors have got to sign it off and yeah, yeah. Right. so so things have changed when when something terrible happens which is normally the way things change something changes when something terrible happens um and um but yes i mean the the guy from the in the uk in the 1950s uh, ronald sanderson was was quite open really in interviews to say well no i didn't get any ethical permissions for this we just did it um and later on 
sometime in the 90s, some of his patients or relatives of patients actually sued the NHS trust of the day, claiming that they'd been like damaged and stuff like that by the LSD therapies they'd been given in the, you know back in the 60s. Um, it was quite murky in many respects because there was at least one patient who said that she was absolutely convinced that was while she was undergoing this trial that there were kind of American military personnel in the rumours at the same time, and and there's yeah it's been well documented that in the during the Cold War in the search for truth drugs and things like that, both the Americans and the Russians were trying every every substance they could get their hands on to see if anything actually worked, um, or that you could disable armies. With, I mean, you certainly could disable an army with LSD because they'd all be wandering around chatting to the trees <laughs> while you ran off with the guns and tanks. Uh, that was kind of, you know, it never really, never really um, gained traction as a military strategy. Um, but, but there was a lot of kind of, you know, the Americans had CIA had this NK Ultra project going on, and they actually dosed some of their own personnel. Um, one of whom threw himself out of a window in Paris because he thought he was going mad. And mm. it took a long t- decades for the family to get both an acknowledgement that that had happened and some kind of recompense or compensation. Uh, just, to, something. Uh, just, just to clarify that case, the MK Ultra case, now, as I understand it, it's not that the guy had a, a, a psychedelic episode and jumped out the window. It was that... He thought he was going insane because he didn't know he was part yeah. of the experiment. Oh no, that's right. No, they, they dosed them unwittingly. Yeah, mm. I mean it was it was absolutely well. I mean, unethical would be an <laughs> understatement. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, uh, he had no idea that he'd been. I think he he. he I think they paid some sort of sex worker or something that he was with to sort of dose him up or something. So he had mm. he had no idea what was going on. Of course, if you had no idea what was going on and the walls start turning pink and you see sort of green snakes coming out of your bed, of course you can think you're going potty. Yeah. Um, so there you go. I think the other but thing... But the research is interesting and, oh. and I think it's, um, you know, how far it goes or how far it gets Rubbish, the fake science that they came up with. Um, 
but I think it did carry on in the Czech Republic for a while. Um, but again, uh, but see, all of that, it doesn't necessarily, I mean, some people think this is just some big backdoor to legalisation. Mm-hmm. Don't honestly think it is. But I think it's quite interesting that these drugs that have been sort of demonised and, mm-hmm. and banned and all the rest of it, slightly coming in from the cold mm-hmm. um, as as therapeutic aids for things that are conditions that are really very intractable. Well, I think that's the thing. It's quite needs-driven. So like a lot of people, you know, take ssris or snris or whatever and it has no effect on them or you know it, they work for a while and they don't work and yeah it seems that you know like psilocybin lsd all that kind of stuff it just works on a different like works differently anyway doesn't it but yeah sure, it seems sure. to yeah. work for no, people i think the outcomes of that uh, will be very interesting um and of course it's going to need pharmaceutical industry backing to make it <laughs> actually happen why is, um, why is that you know Someone's got to. Someone's got to think. There's a lot of money to be made in this because mm. to actually develop the product is going to cost them. Yeah, they say the first pill costs like a million dollars. The second pill costs you virtually nothing. Mm. You got to get your R and D money back. But the, the, um, it grows on cow so. pats, <laughs> doesn't it? <laughs> Sorry, it grows on cow pats. Why do we, we don't have to make? I mean, the, like the psilocybin. Well, yeah, but it has to be. It, well, yeah, they'll have to synthesize it. It's got to pass muster with some in this country, like the medicines agency. You're not going to get away with just going out and picking a lot of mushrooms <laughs> in a field somewhere. Why it's got to be a pharmaceutical <laughs> product, unfortunately. Yeah, um, and obviously for ketamine and, and MDMA and stuff as well. You do, um, you do realize, yeah. Phil? Sorry that they, they were taken in pill form when they do the trials, and they don't like, no, they don't no, drink mushroom they were just, tea. Just cooking, <laughs> just went out picking one October night. <laughs> um, the other thing I wanted to talk, talk to you about, sorry, which might be quite interesting for our American listeners, is this idea. Is it called the British system? Which was, which was like where? Well, you explain what it was and like the, the difference. Well, well. But what but we I did. will when we have a two-minute popcorn break. All oh, right, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. It should be shortly. It's no a good opportunity to go. We've got some chats. It was yeah. the first time we got the chat oh, up yeah. and working. Yeah. Uh, Bill Stroke from uh, 13 Questions Podcast. Sup, homies? Sup. Says, and then, uh, is that Kellel? Kellel? Is that Superman's, Superman's real name? Yeah, Carl Carlel. Carl Carl L. Who's winning the drug war? AstraZeneca or Pfizer? It's well, Pfizer. Pfizer. Everyone Come knows it's, AstraZeneca's dead and buried. <laughs> Who's winning the PR war? <laughs> uh, good evening, all. Menthol is banned in the UK, I think. Is that menthol vape juice? Is that banned? No, but menthol cigarettes are banned in the UK. Are they? Yeah. Did it get banned? Yeah. Get out, get out of it. Get out of it. You have to put. I think you can do you buy, like, what... Rizzler inserts to put in your standard cigarette packets? I remember. Phil one, my own. Phil came out once and put some kind of crystal in his filter. <laughs> a menthol crystal. I don't know what it was. It a bath salt. It was a bit Look, of polo. <laughs> crack is pretty Moorish. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> yeah, there was some sort of aromatherapy crystals. I think. Fucking I had stupid. one. I think. Oh well, yeah, cause bath salts. <laughs> you do stupid shit when you're young, don't you? Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. It's. Uh, I think most kids go through sort of an experimental phase at some point. Or yeah. a got high percentage of kids do anyway. And it's the thing that the underlying thing mm. is for me is harm reduction, and 
this is where yeah i think you, you're never going to get away from people trying stuff are you yeah. so you have to and make it as safe as possible i guess uh, before we describe the the british system is it called the british system yeah i think so before we move on to that, I just wanted to ask, while we were talking about um, trials and stuff being done on, on psychedelics and MDMA, mm. um, we played a clip a few weeks ago of uh, Crispin Blunt, MP Crispin Blunt, oh, yeah. speaking in the House, and he he was talking about legal barriers and red tape, and is this to do with the scheduling of the drugs or what? What's, what's sort of holding people back from doing oh, clinical uh, trials? Yeah. If this is about... Yeah, I think, I think in the... In the UK, the drug legislation is in two bits. You've got the Misuse of Drugs Act, which is every, everything's in either A, B or C. But you've also got the, the drug um, regulate, what they call the drug regulations, which puts drugs in categories one to five. So one has got no therapeutic value whatsoever through to five, which is probably, you know, aspirin or paracetamol or something like that. Um so heroin, so morphine, for example, is two, because of course, although it's a class A drug, it's also obviously people get morphine treatment for cancer pain and and all the rest of it. So it's got therapeutic value. Um, now, in order to 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 bring these products to market, I think I'm not exactly sure what you refer. I mean, I've got a vague memory of Chris, Christine Blunt was on about, but, you know, you have to go through, yeah, quite a lot of bureaucracy and uh, red tape. I mean, the, the COVID vaccine thing is, is a very good example of, I mean, usually it would take years for a vaccine to come to market. Um, and I have heard say that a lot of the reason why it takes that long is bureaucracy and red tape and how many hoops you have to jump jump through in order to bring a product to market. Obviously, we didn't have years. <laughs> we needed vaccines, PDQ, which is where you suddenly got, um, you know, this business about people getting myocarditis, you know, some sort of heart problem as a result of the vaccine. Now, that would have come up probably in the trials, yeah. and been sorted out before the product actually came to market. In this case, we couldn't wait that long. Um, similarly, with now with you know, these new drugs that are being trialled, um, they will have to go through, you know, first, second and third stage clinical trials. Um, you know, you're looking for long-term effects. And, yeah, th th there is a process that has to be gone through. Um but whether it needs to take as long as it actually takes, I suppose, is is difficult to say. I mean, we've had some tragedies, really. I mean, if you go back to the late sixties and thalidomide and and, yeah. and stuff like that. So, if drugs, even even if drugs do come go through that whole long winded process, you can still finish up with bad stuff happening. Well, just uh, just Google Pfizer find, and you'll and you'll see loads of well, yeah, dextra and, and then of course you've got the the whole opioid mm, prescribing yeah. problem in America. Crazy. Now, that's not particularly because there's anything wrong with the drugs, but it's the way they've been promoted and the amount they were prescribed. Yeah. So, you know, so there's, and whoever it is, I can't remember the name of the company now. Purging Pharma. That's right, Purging, you know, um, who, were, who were basically promoting this stuff as kind of, you know, 
non-addictive or, you know, which is, there's no such thing as a non-addictive painkiller. It's, it's, it's uh, whatever I call it, I can't remember, oxymoron. Yeah. <laughs> it, you know, it, the oxymoron I mean, express. painkillers like paracetamol and stuff. But if it's if it's a codeine opiate based painkiller, mm. like, like oxycontin is, yeah, um, it comes with a territory. You know, I mean, if somebody really came up with a painkiller that was as powerful as morphine that was non addictive, they would be very rich. <laughs> <laughs> they would be mega bucks. Yeah. Um, but you know, they've been trying. I mean, heroin heroin was developed by Bayer in Germany. As a as a non addictive replacement for morphine, you know, so that didn't work out so great. Um, and so this it's been this one of these. I think they call it a chimera, you know, this kind of yeah. you know the search for the holy grail, the mm. non addictive analgesic. Um, mm. Hasn't happened yet. What's the so the author? Um, I was just just quickly before the the I just yeah. wanted to drop a quote. The author Tim Ferriss, who wrote the Four Hour Body, the Four Hour Work Week, um, he always says there's no biological free lunch. Mm. There's always a pay. There's always a price to pay for whatever you put yeah. into your body. But yeah, I think we're going, going to go on to the British system. Okay, British system. Um, for the benefit of your American listeners, back mm. in um, around nineteen sixteen. The Harrison Narcotics Act in America banned um, drugs like heroin and morphine and coke and stuff like that, unless they were on prescription. Mm. Um, and for a while, the federal government allowed doctors to prescribe these drugs to people with a drug problem, um, but only only on the on the understanding that they would reduce their dose and get them off drugs, and that would be it. Well. Life don't work quite like that. <laughs> and they realised that, you know, there are a lot of people who were going to stay on these drugs for a lot longer, so they turned around and banned everything. He said, you can't prescribe these drugs at all, and if you do, you're in prison. And a lot of doctors got banged up, as well as the people who they were prescribing to. So that was America. In Britain, 1920, Dangerous Drugs Act. Similar issue, really. What do we do about the people who have been prescribed these drugs um, who were basically middle class, middle aged, a lot of women, mostly women, um, but also there were peers of the realm and there were, you know, lawyers and bankers and, and what have you. What are we going to do about this? Now, so what the Home Office couldn't make their mind up. The Home Office couldn't make their mind up what they were going to do about this. Some people wanted to go the American route and ban everything and stop doctors prescribing. In the end, they turned around to this medical committee, and this goes back to this sort of, you know, the power of the doctors. I think the, the doctors had a lot more political clout in the UK than they did in the USA. And they, you know, they had friends in high places uh, uh, and all the rest of it. So they, they devolved the decision to this group of doctors um, led by this guy called Humphrey Rolleston. And the Rolleston Committee came up with this report in 1926 that essentially said, as a last resort, it is um, uh, acceptable political, pra uh, political or even <laughs> medical practice. It's allowed medical practice to prescribe to people in support of an addiction. So 
the principle then was if you just take people off of heroin and crack and cocaine just like that, they're going to die, right? Well, I mean, withdrawal is, is horrible, but it's not life-threatening. But they took quite a humane response, and they were actually very forward-thinking. They were, they were saying, well, it's not just about getting people off drugs. They need social support and all the rest of it. And this was 1926, so mm. it's quite a radical forward-thinking report. But what it meant was that Britain became the only country in the world where a doctor was allowed, an ordinary GP, was allowed to prescribe heroin or cocaine to somebody who was dependent on those drugs in support of their dependency. I suppose around that um, time, Harry, after the First World War, would there have been some you know, ex-soldiers who were probably affected by this, who were perhaps treated on the battlefield and, and developed an addiction? Yes, yeah. I mean, the, the numbers were very small. The numbers were quite small, and of course, they weren't. They didn't have any proper um, counting system, so we didn't really know how many people were affected. But yes, it's quite possible that um, that soldiers. Uh, uh, I mean, it certainly happened after the American Civil War. They called it the soldier's disease, morphine addiction. Mm. Um, because so many soldiers in the American Civil War were given battlefield battlefield morphine. Um, so yes, there almost certainly would have been some, you know, veterans in that in in that group. But let's say the group was fairly small. So anyway, that process um, went largely unchallenged. The British system until about 1968 and during the 60s. Increasingly, a lot of younger, I mean, instead of this middle aged, uh, respectable cohort of professionals and, and their wives and whatever, and there weren't that many of them either. They were talking about a few hundred, you know, out of the whole population spread all over the country. Um, come the 60s, um, a lot more young people started getting into it, particularly in London. Um, because a lot of kids were leaving home. They came to, like, you know, streets paved with gold, big city, Carnaby Street, the 60s, woohoo, uh, and found life was not like that at all. And a lot of them finished up, you know, sex workers and all sorts of problems, uh, runaways and all the rest of it. And the um, the people who... Uh, but, but you had some doctors who... Some of them thought they were doing a good thing. Some of them were just greedy because people had to pay for the prescription. Um, and there was one lady doctor in particular called Isabel Franco, who uh, in 1962 prescribed six kilos of heroin uh, <laughs> in one year. Um, and um, was dubbed by this government committee that was convened as, as like, single-handedly causing heroin epidemic across <laughs> London and the southeast. I think it was pro probably a bit exaggerated, but there was certainly a lot of, you know, our tabloid press got onto this. These, of course, the drug doctors. There was Isabel Frankel. There was another guy called John Petro who took over her patients when Frankel died in 1967, and there were a few others. And... And it all kicked off. There was a political storm, really, because there were no drug clinics. There, there was really nowhere where you could send somebody 
for a, a, a treatment for addiction. Um, except, so the doctors were arguing, look, you know, there's no system here. You know, we're, we've got our sort of finger in the diet, really. You know, there's all these people who suddenly decided they want to use heroin. There's no treatment for them. So what are you going to do? Um, eventually, in 1968, they changed the law so that you couldn't, an ordinary GP couldn't prescribe to anybody coming in saying, I'm a heroin addict or I need coke or whatever. Um, the only people you could, you could, you could do it if you had a home office license. But most of the licenses went to newly established drug treatment clinics that were set up in the various hospitals, in first in London, then Birmingham. And then over time, uh, uh, you know, patchy, patchy in the extreme. Um, and even when we had our major heroin epidemic in the 80s, the, the actual spread of treatment systems around the country was pretty grim. Uh, there really wasn't that much out there uh, until they realised they had to put some money into this. But because Britain was the only country in the world where a, a doctor could legitimately prescribe to somebody like that uh, drugs uh, in support of addiction, I mean, you could just to say, if somebody came in and said, I've got a really bad back, you could you could still prescribe anything for them for that condition, but what you can't do is prescribe to people who are actually clearly dependent on these drugs and needed them on a regular basis. Hence, it became known as the British system, which doesn't really exist anymore. Um, once you started in, once you started getting into what late mid to late eighties, okay. you started having because um, these doctors basically the Home Office were very unhappy about what was going on with a lot of these doctors uh, and they tried to drag them before the General Medical Council and get them struck off and all the rest so there was a whole war going on I mean the reason this book is called Fierce Chemistry is most people's idea of what happens is basically like narcos you know it's basically the goodies who are the police and the DEA and whatever, and the, the, versus the baddies and the cartels and the rest of it. And that's people's conception of what drugs is all about. Mm. Certainly in the UK, it's been a lot more complicated than that. So, for example, the doctors working in the NHS versus the doctors in private practice who are more likely to prescribe to people because they claim the NHS doctors weren't prescribing enough. And so people were buying out on the streets and things like that. The, the battle between the people who support harm reduction and the people who think that abstinence is the, the only answer to people's drug problems. Um, various political differences between different sorts of political groups. Um, so... That kind of is the, is is the way I've kind of described it in the book that it isn't just you know cops and robbers basically, mm. and even within cops, there's been you know lots. I mean, there was a time when the Metropolitan Police didn't really care about drugs and thought the Home Office were making a big fuss about nothing. Mm. Um, so there's been you know and, and tensions between customs and police because they've got different priorities and different ways of conducting operations. You know the police. 
the police want to stop people at the borders, whereas customs are more likely to maybe let them take oh, stuff yeah. in and find out where they're going. So all kinds of tensions in there, and that's really what I was trying to to capture in in, in the book. That it's 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 a it's a really tangled web of of of, uh, of politics. Really, I mean that book is essentially it, it's a cultural history, but it's also the mm. political history as well, and of course. The other big thing is the people who want law law reform against the people who don't want law reform. You know, that's, that's another another head to head going on there. Yeah, it's one of these subjects that you can't look at in isolation. There are so many factors, outside factors that uh, affect the whole. Yeah. Jugs, que- oh, drugs question. Yeah. That's where yeah. one of the yeah. things I found really interesting about your book because I had no idea about it was the sort of the role of the United Nations and its precursors like the um, yeah League of the League of Nations. Nations um, what roles they played and and how United Nations uh, what do they call them? not doctrines uh, United Nations um, treaties and things were, treaties. Would, would affect individuals' countries' ability to change drug policy, which I find amazing. Well, yeah, and but you see, the thing about it's interesting. This it's a, see these treaties um, really rely on consent in a way, a consensus. So therefore, you know, if you look at all the countries who've done, you know, Canada's, Uruguay, Portugal, Holland, all of what they're doing is outside of, you know, they're breaking the yeah, treaty true. obligations that they sign. Haven't actually noticed anything happening as a result. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so um, it's a little bit like, you know, climate change conventions and stuff like that. People have got all these aspirations and they sign bits of paper and all the rest of it. But when it actually comes <laughs> down to it, there's no, you know, no one's going to take Uruguay to court for breaking the UN convention on, on single narcotic drugs. Or, well, you know. um, so, um, but that these treaties are there. And of course, this is what the UK government fall back on. And say, oh well, you know, we stick by the treaties. The cover. So that's the sort of get out of jail free card on 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 that. The treaties are there. You can invoke them at your convenience, um, or you can ignore them at your convenience by the look of it. Um, yeah, but I mean, these but- these treaties were drawn up with the purpose of controlling trade between countries, not for mm. domestic policy. Mm. You know, it goes back like that's why I love history. So I loved reading about how the Opium Wars and the Boston Tea Party and all these things <laughs> in the yeah, past yeah. have, have influenced where we are today with our drug policy. Well, indeed, yeah. I mean, and in fact, when I, I mean, the book actually starts in the First World War with, with the Defence of the Realm Act, which was brought in. Um, the Defence of the Realm Act was to supposedly to protect the country from enemies during wartime. So one of those things was to ban uh, the prescribing of cocaine because there are all these stories that soldiers were coming back on leave and sex workers were plying them with coke in the West End. So that that became a big, big story. But actually, when I sat and thought about it, I thought, well, okay, if you like, the war against drugs started during the First World War, both here and in America. But for the previous, what, 400 years, 
there'd been a war <laughs> for drugs <laughs> as opposed to against drugs. And I started thinking about it. I was thinking tobacco, opium, mm, tea. rum, tea, coffee, and which is in fact the 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 crucible for for global trade. All global trade really starts with the movement. Well, it starts with the spice trade, I suppose, but slightly on them. All those products, all those drugs formed the, the basis of what became the global global trade in everything. Um, but more than as much as that, almost all of that could not have developed the way it developed had there not been slavery. And slavery uh, on the tea plantations, in the in the uh, I mean when we think about the slave trade, we think about the southern states of America and, and, and cotton. Um, but from my reading, there were more slaves in Brazil on the coffee plantations than there were in the southern states. There was slavery on British tea plantations in the 19th century. Um, the, the, in West Africa, slaves were exchanged for rum coming in from the Caribbean and thrown into the mix there is sugar because sugar... Sugar plantations, again, slave trade, and again, it helped to popularise tea and coffee, which were quite bitter, unless you actually put some sugar in, in with it. And I, I probably finished up writing too much about this, and, yeah. but I, I actually thought there's a there's a huge prologue here. And, of mm. course, people have written books this big about coffee and tea, and I mean, I couldn't go into it in a huge amount of detail. But it did strike me that... Um, that, that there was this huge prologue, if you like, to, to the book that I couldn't ignore. I couldn't just suddenly start saying, well, it all began in the First World War with, you know, sex workers in the West End. There was so much more to it than that. And people have written loads of books about each of the elements that I just talked about, you know, books about tobacco, books about the opium wars. So there's, there's a lot of stuff out there. So I just tried to encapsulate it to, 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 to some extent. But yeah. interestingly, apart from something like, apart from treaties about settling war, like the Versailles Treaty, the, converse, the, the, tre the treaty discussions in the League of Nations about drugs was the very first time nations had ever got together to discuss something other than ending a war. <laughs> Mm. And what they actually did was they actually got together to start a war, <laughs> which eventually became the war against war against drugs. But it was drugs was the subject that that then nobody ever got together to talk about. I don't know bubonic plague or alcohol or you know the shape of the wheel or something. I mean they'd never got <laughs> together to to come to some multinational consensus about what to do about anything except end a war and carve the countries up like this and draw lines on maps. There you go. Well, on that note... Yeah, I think that's a good place to... A good place to wrap up, yeah. I think. Yeah, thanks for coming, Harry. Mm. Yeah, that's um, fantastic. Thank you. Yeah, I really enjoyed it, and I enjoyed the book. I encourage people to get it. Here it is, look. 
Yeah. yeah. Nick Claus up there. Have a look at that. Here's chemistry. There you go. Tell you your mates. Yeah, <laughs> tell your mates and uh, get a copy. Tell it's good mates. if you like history, especially. No, yeah. I really enjoyed it. It's um, been good. Yeah, thanks for coming, Harry. Just stay on the line for us for two minutes while we play ourselves out. Okay. And uh, we'll we'll catch the rest of you after a short break for part two. Yeah. All right. Okay, take care. Right, then we're back. The Dwarf, the Cripple, and the Mother of Madness. That was our chat with Harry Shapiro. Yeah. Author of uh, Fierce Chemistry. Yep. A ripping yarn. <laughs> well, it's good. I enjoyed it. It's yeah. Book. <clears throat> I'm two-thirds of the way through, and I'll be reading the last hundred pages or so this week, and then Homish Ben can have it. Excellent. Thank you. It'll take uh, me a long time. Sloppy thirds <sighs> for Homish Ben. It'll be heavily fingered. It's been it. heavily fingered and grubby. Literary sloppy mm. thirds. So it's, check out the link in the show notes, you know, if you want to uh, check out the book. Yeah. And uh, yeah, recommended. Thanks, Nick, for the suggestion and mm. the present. It's very good. Yeah. Yeah, Because you're not getting it back. <laughs> <laughs> so, how was uh, first week back at work? Um, it was uh, better than I expected. I thought it was going to be awful, and it was okay. Oh, that's all right. Positive. Yeah. January is usually just. Pulling teeth. Nothing month, yeah. Trying not to uh, cry. People used to have winter blues parties. Did they? Yeah, was that never a thing in your mum and dad's circle of friends? A no. winter blues party in your, January? Was that a your blue mom, party? In your, in your mum and dad's your mum and dad's uh, calendar, did it would have a winter's blues? Yeah, like the Coopers would have a winter blues party in the middle of January. Okay, no, it's just a shit time of year, isn't it? Christmas is over and done with. The weather's crap. Mm. The uh, sun's got, sun's getting real low. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the sun hasn't been reborn. Well, he has been reborn. We passed the solstice, but you know, it takes time. Yeah, so uh, yeah, people idea. used to have a winter blues party. It's quite a good idea. And you wear uh, Hawaiian shirts, yeah. and stuff, and drink out of coconut coconuts. Oh, uh, no, I'm out. <laughs> you had me at Hawaiian shirts and you lost me at coconuts. Oh, okay. Fair enough. Uh, uh, right, so we're going to have a winter blues party in the studio then. I have one every Sunday. <laughs> pretty much. Yeah, I know you do. I watched some telly this week. You did, oh, didn't you? Mate. Yeah, I watched uh, The Book of Boba Fett. Do you feel dirty? Cause you... No, no, I don't feel dirty. No. No. It's uh, ashamed. Uh, I, f- I felt sort of obliged because I'm the only person in my house who doesn't who wasn't watching it. My my six year old's mad for it. Really? Yeah, he's saying. Uh, well, that's what started it. It was um, was it Saturday? Mm-hmm. He, uh where was I going? Oh, I was taking my um, Saturday morning. I was taking my ten year old for his swimming lesson, mm-hmm. and uh, my six year old said, uh, "All right, we're going to watch Boba Fett." <laughs> I said, "No, you know, I'm going to watch it with you. Wait till I get home." Mm-hmm. So uh, we watched it together. I think, it's, I think it's all right. I think it's pretty good yeah, so I'm far. Enjoying it so far, yeah. Yeah, it's been okay. Got a bit of a crush. You have the sand people. <laughs> no, it's on the orange one, is it? With the weird things coming out of her head. Oh, the the owner of the brothel. Yeah. No. In fact, it is. No. Um, it is. Yeah, secretly. No, his his compadre Ming Na Wen. Is she not like one of the Charlie's Angels? No, Was that's she... Lucy Liu. All oh, right, yeah, that's not her, is it? She's. What was she in this? This the ninja assassin. She was in uh, the Mando, the Mandalorian, for a few episodes. Nah, she's been in That's something else, like another TV show. Was she in ER? 
she was in ER That's for it. nine yes. nine years. Wow, she doesn't need to be working now. Um, I didn't realize she's fifty eight. Wow. Get the fuck out! <laughs> so I'm I'm a bit of a gilf guy, I think. G- gilf. Wow. Her first, I, I had to fifty eight. I looked at her, her. What do you call it on Wikipedia? Wikipedia. IMDb. Her first credit is from nineteen eighty six. I can't believe she's 58. Oh, I thought she's... I'd say, I mean, thinking about it now, it makes total sense if she was in ER. And I knew she was in ER. <laughs> and uh, He's blocked it. From <laughs> <back>. <laughs> um, but Do you know, for, what... I would say 40s, mid 40s. I know. Mm. What is she taking? I don't know. Um, do you know, I, maybe this is why I've, I've developed a bit of a crush on her because when I was looking through her IMDb, <laughs> she played the role of Chun Li. In the Street oh, Fighter movie. Oh, ah, right. yeah, that'll be it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Mental Flashbacks. Which was, what, 94? Yeah. Oh, shit. She was Chun-Li in the Van Damme Street Fighter movie. And she could movie. still do it now. Absolutely. She's in... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Troopers! <laughs> um, she, <laughs> it's the best monologue <laughs> of cinematic history. I'm not having anything bad, a bad word to say about that film. She's also in uh, Agent, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Is she? Is she? Yeah. Looking about 40 again. <laughs> She's amazing. So, uh, yeah, 58 years old. Good yeah, stuff. that is good going. Every, every because the fucking uh, Boba Fett looks old. <laughs> yeah, he does. He's had a rough time, hasn't he? But, but I suppose he is... You he know, has been in a Sarlacc <laughs> stomach for like a year. Yeah, yeah. and also like, you know, <coughs> dragged, drank some kind of weird carrot piss in the desert. <laughs> oh my he? God, What yeah. was that? I don't know. They told, they, some kind of something milk, but I think that's the like the weird... Melon. The, what they dig up the little uh, well that's like something else isn't it yeah but I think there's like there was like a little scene and he squirts this little green liquid in it to revive him from this like orange carrot looking oh, thing <laughs> you got you got it's pretty grim yeah. I want to have a go on that lizard <laughs> oh fuck yeah he comes back with a branch <laughs> yeah where the fuck did you find the branch bro in the middle of the desert that's supposed to bring the branch back. Not only the branch there. <laughs> yeah, he got made. He's made made his own uh, what stick? Yeah. Staff. Oh, oh what are they called? Ah, oh. staff. Star Wars knowledge. Fail me. They've got a name. Um, yes, they do. Fuck. I don't know. Answers on a postcard. Do you think they're ever gonna? unmask the sand people well I thought they were going to on that when they were all in a tent mm. and, uh, you know, well, obviously the human aren't they do you think they're human yeah of course they are because of what be. Obi what did Obi say they were once human oh they, I can't he? remember what he says he says something along the lines doesn't he that does he not say they are no sand people are easily startled <laughs> they'll soon that. be back but in greater number <laughs> yeah, but I think I'm, I'm sure this isn't. I might be talking out my ass here. Yeah, does he not kind of say that they were like once in human? the prequels? Oh, oh I don't know. I don't know. I'm, maybe I'm making it up. Yeah, I mean, I'm bullshitting on it. I think so. Okay, I'm one of the Jawas anyway. Little tiny light your pies. Oh, teeny. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. They're the bookers, them, aren't they? Just strip everything. Yeah, man. So, uh, yeah. Just like scrap merchants, aren't they? Mm. Rag and bone Jawas. Oh, so that's how that's how they got his arm because the arm. Then who gets the armor back? It's the other Mandalorian, isn't it? 
in the first series, gets uh, his armor yeah, off the, ja- yeah, the Jawas. Off the Jawas, yeah. He's on the, on the rolling fortress. Um, I'll tell you what I do like uh, about episode two. The twins? No. No? Okay. But associated, the evil Wookiee. Yes, oh, yes, I enjoyed the evil Wookiee, yes. yes. I wonder what his name is. He'll have, he'll evil Wookiee. The black one. <laughs> <laughs> shouldn't say that, should I? But, you know. He looks mean. He does, does look he? mean. But yeah. also... Very friendly. <laughs> and, and I'd like a. I'd like to probably give him a hug. <laughs> Thank God you said that. <laughs> Grab his dick and twist it! No, I don't want to do that. <laughs> yeah. He was, he was a bit scary, though, wasn't he? I don't know. He had like that. So do you think he's going to be good? He's going to be a I good... I think in the end, the vaccination pigs... is our route to liberty. <laughs> <laughs> the pigs are also freaking me out a little bit. What pigs? He's he's pig minders. Oh, the dog, the animals. No, in the in the in the present oh, day, the Gamorans. Is that Gamorans. what they're called? Gamorans, I think. Yeah, the pigs. Gamorans. I think it is Gamorans. I'm going to hold hold steady on Gamorans. Gamor- I know. Is it not a place we called Gamor- Sodom and Gomorrah? <laughs> yeah, there is. <laughs> and also Gomorrah from uh, from yeah, the Marvel uh, the Gamorans universe. In the, right, okay. in the Sodomites. Gamorans. <laughs> yeah. They mentioned the Gamorian guard. Gamorian. There Gamorian. we go. Sorry. Oh, Gamoran. So they just they Can just, I polish Dave Gamoran. But <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I did to laugh out loud. And my two kids were like, oh. why, are you, why are you laughing at that? It just <laughs> Can I polish your helmet? <laughs> that uh, completely went over my head. <laughs> oh, did you not? Did they even get it? No. Oh, my God. At the time, I feel ashamed. Neither <sighs> did my wife, but I don't think she was listening to it properly. She doesn't like this series because there's no baby Yoda in it. Oh. Spoiler there's alert. A, there's a big. Evil Wookiee in it though. Yeah, I know. And the twins, the two huts. Yeah. The t- uh, wasn't a, wasn't a f- I'm not a fan of huts, but you know. Sorry. About Pizza the Hut. Pizza the Hut. So I speak for Voiced. I think that was he was voiced by Dom DeLuise. Oh, how do you know the names? <laughs> you know, Dom DeLuise is the American version of Jeremy Beadle. He was the host of America's funniest home videos for oh, decades. Right. I don't know. Ah. Dom DeLuise. Right. A famous, very famous voice actor okay. in America. <laughs> Comedy voice actor. I'm sure he voiced Pizza the Hope, but yes, it is from Spaceballs. Excellent. Yeah. Right, okay. Good stuff. Um, do we need to do housekeeping? Before we do, oh. um, we should... Uh, Put a spoiler yeah, alert um, out. Like a, yeah, we <laughs> had some, some bad news in the alternative media podcasting community. Oh, yeah. Week. Um, the death of Kev Baker, which um, was announced while we were recording last week. I found out when we finished the show. Uh, from Glasgow, you won't know who he is, but he's a live streamer from Glasgow. Huge following on YouTube. He's stream every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been in the Discord for months. He's on my list mm-hmm. to get him on the show, and uh, he's, he hasn't been well, and he passed away last week. Um, there was a fundraiser, a GoFundMe, and I think Truth Frequency Radio did uh, a benefit, uh, like Marathon Stream, Charlie Robinson was on there. He was the first guest on Charlie's podcast, Macroaggressions. Right. And Charlie's been on his show numerous times. Conspiracy Kyle's been on his show. Mm. So, uh, sad. Mm, sad yeah. time. So, yeah. um, I'm 
I don't know if the fundraiser is still open, but if it is, there'll be a link in the show notes if yep. you can. Uh, all the proceeds are going to his partner, Ann and uh, Kev Jr. So, with that done, let's move on. Housekeeping. Housekeeping. This is a Value for Value podcast. If you find this podcast valuable, please consider returning some value. There's a myriad of ways of doing this, and my favourite way is word of mouth. Spread the word. Send people links, post links on your social media. That'll really help us out to uh, sort of get more people listening and uh, and joining in and being part of what's happening. This is crowd-funded, crowd-produced. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's a crowded house. Yeah, man. Everywhere you go, always take this podcast with you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Um, <coughs> leave us a review. That's my job. You know, um, have an issue... That we don't get enough reviews, reviewers on all of your different platforms. And I believe the Spotify uh, star rating is live now. Is that so, live? Yeah, live. if you listen on Spotify, you should be able to give us a five-star rating. Exactly. So, you know, like I said last week, um, Rogan, Amish Inquisition, Jordan Peterson, in that order, and live. Yeah, it seems, seems about correct. Mm-hmm. Uh, join the Discord and... Uh, Talk with us. Buy some merch. I'm not wearing my hoodie this week, you know. You are wearing the Amish Inquisition underpants though, right? Uh, yeah, exactly, yeah. They're all full of holes. <coughs> you um, go to the show notes and there's a link for the Amish loot chest there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Get your uh, current grape T-shirts. and uh, Three weeks to flatten the earth. Mm-hmm. Uh, T-shirts. And literally, literally communist. Hoodies. Or the logo. You just get the, you know. Bear logo on the on the if t-shirt. You're a basic bitch. You just <laughs> go, for the, go for the bear logo. <laughs> oh, and mugs. I'm getting mugs there. Yeah, that's a good way to support us. Discord. You mentioned Discord is the best mm. place to get in contact <clears throat> with us. Um, there's all sorts of threads there for weird, weird subjects, and it's where you can send us links for video clips, uh, news articles, audio clips, anything that you feel is worthy of being amplified on the podcast. That needs drawing attention to. Yeah. That's a good place to send it. Um, what else can you do on the Discord? Send uh, artwork. Artwork? Show artwork. Are we gonna, I'm going to reveal the artwork. We have two submissions this week. Ooh, have Let's, we? Yes. Let me go up. Um, I did one. I'll show you mine first. I shall reveal my submission for the artwork. Three, two, one, go. Oh, that's colourful. I think it's one of our best. I think um, that's popping. Yeah, it is popping. It's I popping. like how you've filled the page. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like a psychedelic, uh, trippy background. What's the pillow for? Oh, no, wait. <laughs> the, the pillow is a bag of cocaine. We've got a marijuana leaf. We've got a spoon with some heroin being cooked on it. We've got a just say no emblem. A smiley face representing MDMA, and then we have the Caduceus of Hermes in the center. Ah, you love a Caduceus. Yeah, nailing the serpent to the tree, <clears throat> the medical symbol. And do you like how I've made 214 Harry Shapiro look like pills? 
I like that, yeah. yeah. You know, I think there's a lot going on there. I, yeah. It's one of my best. I, think, yeah. I remember getting a Just Say No sticker when I was in primary school and I stuck it to the roof of my wardrobe. And I'm just thinking now whether it's still there in my, it's now my mother's dressing room. Wow. Do you remember the song? Just say no. I don't know. I, I kind of, but it was more the sticker and I wonder if it's still there. Oh, it brought back memories reading Harry's book. Yeah, of stuff that we've been sort of told in school and that. Yeah, like solvents. Solvents yeah. was a big thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was definitely something I could relate to, yeah. And I remember hearing about flatliners. Flat like, for the film. <laughs> well, yeah, I think it was bait. I think that's where they got the... Oh, for right. MDMA, the, the, the synthetic MDMA that was killing people. Oh, right, okay. Oh, right. I don't remember reading that bit. No, I don't. Flatline, I definitely remember them going around. And like That's one, one of the things that would scare you off taking ecstasy. Well, what if it was a flatliner? Right, okay. That's one of them. Right, uh, anyway, that's, that's the artwork. And then we have a submission from Dr. Ivor McTain. <laughs> Very clever. And there it is. Oh, oh that looks... Um, it's like a, a medical label, isn't it? Yeah, it looks like there's a... Now, what does that QR code take you to? <gasps> we, could, we could find out. Only if it takes you to an Ivor McTain it might, website. It might just be horrible porn, though. <laughs> <laughs> There's if always the, a risk. If the d- designer was clever, that would take you to like um, the either Am- in metadata, yeah, or the Amish loot chest. <laughs> oh, would yeah, be even yeah. better, wouldn't it? Yeah. So it says episode two one four Harry Shapiro two hundred milligrams. Take one episode four times a week. A month. Oh, sorry, a month. Yeah, Warning: yeah. Avoid distractions. Take with or after food. Take regularly and complete the course. Eve S Dropper is the name on the prescription with today's date. <laughs> For advice. And then we have the uh, Amish email address, amishinquisition at gmail.com. Keep out the sight of children, pets, and YouTube auditors. Ooh. Amish dispensary, 99 Dudes Road, Priest Town, P111HS. Uh, Don't know what that means. Piths. Piths. <laughs> <laughs> I'm supposed to say penis. Uh, each uh, episode uh. contains Amish Inquisition 200 milligrams. Also contains E169 opinions. May cause extreme interest. <laughs> if affected, subscribe and donate immediately. Hit that bell. Yeah, podcast for visual and aural administration only. Now, very clever. <clears throat> I've got some comments. It's not very colourful, is it? No, I'm just going to say <laughs> that this. <laughs> to be fair, like <laughs> colourful. Uh... This is this is. Um... <laughs> like your eyes are being raped. <laughs> right, isn't it? So you know, like one of them is going to grab you. And you know immediately what it's about. <laughs> the other one, you, you know, you have to actually use your brain. So um, I don't know how many people on the internet are going <laughs> to... Oh, as brilliant as that one is, it's not... I like the concept. Yeah. The concept's very clever. Yeah. Um, two criticisms <laughs> I have. <laughs> I don't know how much of that text you'll be able to read on your <laughs> smartphone when That's the episode point. comes the up. Episode note, yeah. um, so it might be, I'll, I'll post it to Instagram. Yes. Uh, for the promo Instagram post tomorrow night because oh, uh, it'll be, I think it'll be legible. And also, it isn't square. <laughs> <laughs> and artwork has to be. Yeah, this person, how this many times this, do we say it? <laughs> this ivermectin guy he actually contacted us and he said, does it still need to be square? And we said, <laughs> Well, we, we, Phil, said it needs to be square. 
Uh, it's not the end of the world. Um, it'll just... The thing is, to make it square, I'm going to have to shrink it so the text will be even smaller. So it's fine. Let's <laughs> put some uh, like bars on, on, a, on top and bottom like a movie. Yeah, yeah. It's fine. And it's a good it's effort, a, and yeah, I like the concept. Yeah, it's like a, it's supposed to be a 16-9 ratio. 16-16 ratio. Well, for the, oh, for the movie, yeah. yeah no, I'm thinking 4-3. Yeah. Right, old school yeah. tellies. Yeah. Oh, but I like it. Good. I like um, I like them both. Yes. While we're doing artwork, um, it's YouTube artwork time. There's even more. Oh. No, that means we need a Oh, tile. we need the tag, don't we? Oh, yeah. Drugs sold. I don't know. I got my quill. <laughs> I need my quill. Oh, man. What do you think? What title um, can we give this YouTube video? UK to prescribe heroin. Still prescribes heroin. UK prescribes heroin. Heroin prescribed Shocker. in the UK. Shocker. Yeah. No, I don't know. Um... um. Drugs, yeah, man. No. Um, oh, it's tough. What was the British method? <laughs> the method. British what system. Was it called? The rhythm system. method. British system. But nobody knew what that was about, would they? No. Um, my chemical romance. Oof. <laughs> yeah, but it's, it's got to be. It's got to be. Uh, it's normally a statement, isn't it? That or a draws, question. That if it was Mike in. Shapiro, we could say Mike's Chemical Romance. <laughs> but it's it's got to draw people in, hasn't it? It's got to be clickbait, that's the thing. How do we solve the drugs problem? Yes. Yeah. Something uh, along those lines. Yeah. Well, if you think of anything better, it's not let likely, me know. Is it? <laughs> How? I've already forgotten what it was. Or <laughs> make. Can yeah. we make l- drugs legal? How do we fix... Can we make drugs legal? That's my suggestion. Can we make drugs legal? Or should drugs be? I don't know. I'll, we'll see. We'll come up with something. It's, uh, it's never what we agree anyway. Oh, nice. That's a good transition. Yeah, nice swipe. That's what she said. Uh, you can uh, subscribe to YouTube and Odyssey. Yeah, yeah, and uh, well, you, you already well. If you're watching this on Odyssey, just hit that fucking be- that bell or whatever yeah. it is. What is it? A cat or a bell? Or something? <laughs> I don't know. I don't Spank know. that monkey and subscribe Ooh. to the channel. Push all the buttons. Yeah, um, you know what else you can Ooh. do on uh, on the Discord? You can send us a focused chi request. Has someone done it? Yes. Really? Yeah. Why would you send a focused chi request? Um, yeah, if you. Got a big exam coming up, maybe, or something. What's that? Yeah, there's something strange, like a tinniness. Yeah. I don't think it's phone-related. No, it's weird. Then it, it won't, they won't hear. All oh, right, okay, oh, that's The fine. eavesdroppers won't hear it. Um, yeah, so, you know, if you've got a particularly stressful situation going on, you want some help, you feel your cheese out of whack. Relationship problems, Le- maybe. Relationship problems, mm-hmm. um... Looking for a job. We've had some success with job searches. Just got January blues. Can't decide what Hawaiian shirt to wear for your blues party. <laughs> yeah, whether to go with a coconut or just a standard cocktail glass. Or a, a black melon from the sands of Tatooine. <laughs> <laughs> from yeah. the Dune Sea. <laughs> from the Dune Sea. Yes. <laughs> what the, it looks like an urchin shell, doesn't it? Yes. An urchin cell, shell, shell cell. 
Right. Yeah, I've got an emer- I've got an emergency. Oh, okay. uh, this is an emergency. This is from. What was it co- sent last week? <laughs> uh, no, it was sent at f- half past five today. Wow. Uh, Lee from the Big Conspire. Um, I have an emergency chi request. I have a fucking toothache. Oh. Need healing energy until I can get to see a dentist. Help me, Armist Inquisition. You're my only hope. What you want is morphine? If this is like a 1916 dentistry show. Yeah, just go, go get some heroin, man. You can If you go to your GP or the, you know, you need to go to your GP and you can say, actually, you, you can legally prescribe me some heroin. So that's what I need. Don't it, say you need it, though. So no, yeah. Yeah, that's, what I, that's what I feel would aid my yeah. pain. Well, in the meantime, we shall focus our chi in his okay. direction okay. as a community. Yeah. Okay, stand by. It's coming your way, Lee. She's literally a communist. Chinese asshole! The best mate. (laughs) (laughs) So, I hope that helps. We've got 100% hit rate so far. I yeah. could actually feel it leaving my body though. It was it was something. <laughs> and now I think I've got soft clothes coming on now. Yeah, also on the Discord you can send us a birthday request if you've got a birthday coming out and you wanna yeah, coming up and you want a birthday shout as well. Yeah. Jingle requests, guest suggestions. Guest suggestions is always good. We've had a few more recently that yeah, sound it's, interesting. It's ah, a yeah. rich vein now that are coming in from yeah. the uh, thieves droppers. Yeah, uh, Mario Build Reps. Yeah. Is one and uh, Robert Frederick. Yeah, there's another one, wasn't one it? That yeah. uh, we haven't we haven't followed up on yet because no, I, did a, I looked into it a little bit and then I think I started watching the the Mandalorian, <laughs> <laughs> whatever it's called, the you Book got, of Mando, the yeah, Book of Boba Fett. Is it called? Mm. Can so, I polish your yeah, helmet? I'll, I'll probably get, <laughs> get back to it at some point. Yeah. <laughs> you got sidetracked polishing your helmet. No. Well, I wish. <laughs> What's holding you back? It's nothing to be ashamed of. Uh, well, I'm, 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 not, I'm not ashamed. It's just the getting a chance, isn't it? Away you can't from legislate praying. against that sort of thing. No, exactly. Yeah. So you can't, you know, you just can't just go, you know, in the next room and whack off, can you? you have to, have it to is, it is a bit cold next door, to, yeah. to be honest. Yeah. Anyway. All right. Um, that's just a few of the ways of becoming a producer. Yeah. Uh, it's not my favourite, though. No. Well, it's my second favourite. What's your favourite, Phil? Toss a fucking coin. I don't even know where it is. Yeah. <laughs> God. God. Toss a coin to your witcher. Do it for the lads. 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 You know, because we're northern. Oh, we're northern and we're bloody miserable and the weather's fucking shit. Yeah, if you go to the armistinquisition.com, there's a PayPal button there and you can uh, give us a one-off, sign up for a monthly recurring sustaining donation and donations at the level of £50 rover grant you executive producer status for said episode, which looks shit hot on your curriculum vitae. Uh, let's get it on LinkedIn. Or LinkedIn. And your LinkedIn profile, yeah. Mm. Only you guys listening can... Save Plotland. Keep the shit show running. Right, let's thank the producers for episode... 214? Two, 214. Uh, who've we got? It's time, isn't it? It's time to big up the man Dems. Yo. Nomi Noznoz, Nick from the Discord, Slicko, Helen from Troy, Mostly Business, Dr. Ivan McTain, Lee from the Big Conspire, and Anonymous. Thank you. You're so amazing. They are. Yeah. So amazing in their love. It's a miracle. 
the dwarf, the carrots, the grape, the homophobe, the wind, the asthma, the corpop, the number 11, the blind man, the fallen on the horizon, the cripple and the mother of from hell. <laughs> Thanks for always your help for another week. Keep this going. Yeah, man. It's good. Good. Should we uh, good. do some topical stuff, some news? Oh, why not? Why not? Okay, we're running late tonight. Oh, wow. Ten past ten already. Uh, yeah. COVID-19 news. People have got to understand vaccination is going to be in the end your route to liberty. You're not just irresponsible. I mean, you're an idiot. That's because it's short, you know, because it's fucking ten bells already. Gone ten bells. Um, Savage Javid had a bit of an altercation. On, did. On Friday. He did. He had a run-in, didn't he? Yeah, so for our listeners who aren't in the UK, Savage Javid. Is it Sajid? Sajid. Sajid. I call him Savage. Savage <laughs> Javid. He's the health secretary for the UK. The health minister who's the guy who's in charge of the health service and social care and all this mm-hmm. shit. And he decided to go on a tour around a, a London hospital. I think it was King's Hospital. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, the uh, thought entered his brain that it would be a good idea to go to a nurse's station and ask them what they thought of the mandatory vaccination policy that's being implemented for all frontline NHS staff. Mm. Uh, you've got until, I think it's the 12th of February, to take your first jab. First. Yeah. And then oh, sorry. Sorry. But yeah, let me say. And then you get your, you've got to wait so many weeks and then you get your second one. And the idea is you've got to be fully jabbed by first of April, is it? First of April. April yeah. fucking Phil's day, yeah. obviously. And uh, yeah, he, the, the, the nurses sort of um, looked very uncomfortable and mm. obviously didn't want to speak out. But he didn't count on this consultant anaesthetist behind him. Who sort they of always sneak in. up on you. Mm. Yeah, they do. They put, yeah, and put you to put sleep. You one day, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And uh, it's a bit of an. It was a fucking noisy clip. I've tried to clean it up a bit because it's, it was hard to tell what was being said because yeah. of all the you can hear all, all the bleeps and bloops and uh, mm. noise from coffee machines. And it, you know this obviously wasn't supposed to be recorded. It seems, but it was ad hoc. It was oh. recorded. Hot mic. And uh, they got the microphone to him. Anyway, here's what happened. What do you What do you think of the the new rule to require vaccination of all NHS staff? That's the nurses looking blank. Yeah. I'm, I'm not happy about that. So. You're not happy about that, tell me. So I've had COVID at some point. Yeah. Uh, I've got antibodies. Yeah. Um, I've been working on COVID ITU since the beginning. I have not had a vaccination. I do not want to have a vaccination. Um, uh, the vaccine's reducing transmission only for about eight weeks with Delta. With Omicron, it's probably less. For that, I would be dismissed if I don't have a vaccine. That's the first part. Mm. He doesn't. He hasn't had it. He said he's, he's had COVID. Yeah. So why should I get it? Yeah, he's had COVID, and he's say, he's making the point that you know the vaccine efficacy is only lasting about eight weeks for Delta and potentially less for for Omicron. Mm. So essentially, you know, why not wait a few more weeks? I guess is his, is his point. Or what's the point? Let's see, it carries on. It's not, the science isn't strong enough. That's your view. And, and, and your views? Just, uh, <laughs> Desperate, <laughs> desperately trying to get an yeah. alternate view. Everyone's like that. No. No, we're not saying anything. Deal with this guy. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was a consultant saying, that's that's my view. And your view, savage. <laughs> 
No, he's, he's, he's desperately going back to the nurses. To the nurses to get to, set, to, to get a support. Hopefully, yeah, look, he's looking, but I think their silence speaks volumes, doesn't it? Yeah. There's a, I respect that, but there's, a, there's also a many cases no, I agree with other, other different views. Yeah, there's other views, yeah. but... Yeah. And there's another yeah. colleague yeah. Who's, who's also in the same position. Yeah. Yeah. No, I understand that. And obviously we have to weigh all that up for both health and social care. And there, there will always be a, a debate about it. But it's a... No, it's no debate. You've made it a law. Mm-hmm. Did, did he say he respects and understands it as well in that exchange? I didn't, I didn't hear respect. Oh, okay. Imagine. He says there's a debate around. There'll always be a debate around it. Well, you've you've removed the debate. Yeah, the debate has not happened. <clears throat> you just took it upon yourself to make it so, mm. as uh, Jean-Luc Picard would. Yes. Maybe there's an opportunity to reconsider with Omicron and the changing picture. It's giving him an, an out here. Yeah. Maybe there's a chance to uh, reconsider. This Omicron seems to be... Uh, Pretty shit virus, and when it comes to don't being, let it hear you say that. Uh, I don't really care. It's fine. <laughs> or at least to nuance it and allow doctors who've had antibody exposure, who've got antibodies, yeah. who haven't had the vaccination, to not have it because the protection I've got from transmission is probably equivalent to someone who's vaccinated. There's no nuance there, is there, about people who've mm. recovered, COVID recovered? Never been mentioned. No, doesn't exist. Because there is one solution. Yeah, and I've, I've noticed in recently there's been more press on, um, well, this, basically not forcing people to have a vaccine, um, but also looking towards a B&T cell immunity, which I've not seen in, like, the uh, mainstream media at all at this the f- point. The former head of the vaccine task force yeah. was in papers this weekend saying... That's what I mean, yeah. We need to stop mass vaccination now. Yeah, I need to uh, f- stop with this myopic mm. looking concentration on antibody levels mm-hmm. because we have memory <clears throat> immunity. Yeah, we also have innate immunity, which no one is talking about. Mm-hmm. Our natural immunity, which is very wide, it covers all diseases. You get any <laughs> infection, you have an innate antibody immune immune response. Yeah, no discussion of that. It's all spike antibodies. That's all mm. we're interested in. Let's yeah, I believe simple. that innate is your immunoglobulins. I can't remember back that far back. Sounds right. But you, you, it's like a, um, yeah, it's your natural immunity. You get it. You get a lot of it from when you're in the in the womb from your from your parents. So things that your your mother's been, um, <clears throat> um, you know, has has had. You are you develop exposed to exposed to. Yeah, yeah. you you have a certain level of immunity to those those sorts of things as well, and that, and that wanes over time. So this could be part of the reason why kids seem to be. Incredibly, you know, uh, uh, an, uh, uh, someone over 70 is something like 10,000 times the risk of being hospitalised as someone under 18. Right. And the idea is, well, you start off with all this innate immunity. And then you, it, get, you it pick wanes. up your acquired. Yeah. After that. Your innate immunity wanes when you sort of get past your best, sort of like us. <laughs> It keeps Once you alive in order to to get your required immunity and start exposing yourself to things yeah. like yeah. you know eating dirt and stuff like yeah. all kids do. Well, the, how kids used to. This is part of the thing I'm concerned about is the hyper sanitization we have yeah. with kids now. I don't think that's doing them any favors long term. Mm. And 
why we might be seeing things like allergies, allergies increase yeah. and mm. autoimmune increase. Possibly. This is a major problem now. Yeah. Uh, between 3 and 9% a year autoimmune conditions are going up in the West. Yeah, mm-hmm. they're related Not to Western Africa. diet, potentially. That's only one factor there, but they're, they're trying to... That's potentially. Um, re- uh, you know, associated with environmental factors. Uh, I think a, a term or, I read was, you know, your genetics hasn't changed for decades. You know, human human genetics hasn't changed. So what's causing these increases? It could be environmental factors. It could be lack of environmental factors. Right. If, if you have a super sanitized life for the first that five or six years while your immunity is developing, you're not being exposed to things. Maybe that can cause you to have immune compromising problems when you reach adolescence and on older. Who knows? You do we see some know. of that, like the boy in the bubble, you know, people who do have zero immunity against anything and they're, and they're obviously they have to be protected to, to survive. It's... Anyway, we sort of... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Segwayed tangentially off for a mile though because we're talking about Savage Javid yeah but at some point that will wane as well but if you want to yeah. provide protection with a booster yeah. you'd have to inject everybody every month if it's worn off by two months yeah if, it's yeah. War- if the protection's yeah. worn off a transmission after two months yeah then after a month you've still got a bit of protection yeah so if you want to maintain protection you're going to need to boost all staff members every single month which you're not going to do i mean i heard it's 10 weeks it's not two months it's 10 weeks well the thing is, is but the point he's making is valid isn't it in oh, terms yeah. of it, it, yeah, it's it, not. The, yeah, the grounds that they're doing it on is if you're not vaccinated, which only lasts 10 weeks at best, then, um, you know, so you could have your vaccine, your last vaccine or whatever on April, and you basically, you know, what they say, till <laughs> mid-June, you're okay. The problem is, is that the vaccines don't stop transmission. No. And that is the only possible rationale for a yeah. mandatory vaccine or a vaccine passport. Yeah. If it doesn't stop transmission, then your vaccine passport isn't going to achieve anything. Or your mandatory vaccination yeah. achieve anything. I mean, the, Not the, for healthy people with no comorbidities, I, who are no, uh, virtually yeah. no risk of taking up a hospital bed with this thing. The big thing is, at the moment, it's not... If it's from a staffing side, so there's just too many people off sick or having to isolate. So that's why they this debating aren't they again it's probably been leaked hasn't it to test public <laughs> opinion around reducing it down to five days they've yeah. already done it in the states and, yeah, and other so countries it's, it's nonsense isn't it so anyway i mean that comes down to routine testing yeah. i think our frontline nhs staff routinely tested every week or every few days twice a week I think. twice a week and you're supposed to they're advising that you do a lateral flow before coming to work every day right so a lot of these people who are isolating are going to be asymptomatic. They've just had a positive test. Mm. Yeah. We, have, we need to stop testing healthy people, I'm afraid. Time to get over this. Well, so th- this is what I'm a bit more hopeful about is that there's a lot more press around en- it being endemic in nature. Yes. And treating it like flu. <clears throat> so you offer the vaccine to the vulnerable. So yeah. immunocompromised people over the age of whatever, whatever they decide it is, and that's it, basically. You'd yeah. still have lateral flow tests knocking about, but I, I guess we'd get to a point where the advice is if you wake up, you feel a bit ropey, do a test if it's negative, go into work. If yeah. it's positive, then, yeah, I don't know. Like you're supposed to Stay do if you've got the flu. Yeah. 
Or you got a cold, but that's the thing, isn't it? That you don't. I'm going to finish. When I had it before Christmas, sorry. <laughs> when I had it before Christmas, if it was any other year, so if I was that ill in 2018, I'd have gone into work and I'd have taken a lemsip with me or whatever. It was. Yeah. I mean, I'm only speaking from my own experience, but it was mm. that mild that I would have gone into work and. and it wasn't enough to make you too sick to go to work. Is no. What you're saying. No. And that's going to be the. And they've said this since the beginning, even when it was the the. Wuhan strain that the vast vast majority of people mm. will will just get over will have a, not even know they've had it mm. and they'll just feel rough for a few days at home I don't think you should go to work if you're ill regardless if it's a cold or flu or whatever there is, there is you know all disease all transmissible diseases get transmitted in environments like workplaces mm. the problem is is that it's, it's easy for someone to say that if they get sick pay full sick pay like, yeah, you know, yeah, NHS yeah. stuff, for example. Yep, definitely. Whereas, um, yeah. People who are on low wages or um, SSP. What's that? Statutory sick Statue, pay. Yeah, yeah it's, they won't have uh, that option. Well, they they got to eat. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, some people have a living fucking hand to mouth every week, and you know, it's 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 difficult in that respect. And mm. um, that's part of the system we live in. Um, I don't know. I don't profess to know what the answer to that is, but evermore. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, we uh, we take advice on on where, when how much you may need. But it's not going to achieve yeah. a practical benefit. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, we take the very best advice that we can. Yeah. From the people that are vaccine experts. Guess a little hook in there yeah, at the end. Isn't the people that are actually the experts. People who are the vaccine experts. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Mm. Well, I think you need new advisors, Savage. Is what I would say. I think you're getting shit advice at the moment because all you're talking about is antibodies and it's nonsense and vaccine passports are useless against the Omicron. It's like saying, um, do you want to take a flu shot from 2018? Yeah, I know it is, isn't it? It's a completely different strain now, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Stupid. Don't don't mandate it. Come on, get a grip. <laughs> do we know where that um, anaesthetist is or who he is? Or... King's College, wasn't it? London? Yeah, he's, uh, people have found him on Instagram. Right. Yep. Still, still uh, well, got his job. I believe that the chief exec or whatever, someone who runs the doctors there, has said that they've got, a, for most staff of, I think it's the same trust, a staff of 14,000, they've got a th- about 10% are unvaccinated and they're estimating they're going to lose 1,000 members of staff as it stands. What's is there anything stopping, um, say, this anaesthetist getting laid off, getting sacked from the NHS, and then going to work in the private sector? I, I don't think so. They probably no. might. They might be sort of saying similar things, um, but you just. I would. Cause... I wonder if this. I mean, I don't <coughs> think they're smart enough. But there is a theory that you know this is part of hollowing out, hollowing out the NHS. Yeah. yeah, there's a lot of that, that goes around every time something sets it up to fail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think I don't. I don't think so. I don't think they're clever enough to do that. Well, but you know, people yeah. might draw that conclusion. Mm. There is a possible theory. Mm. I just think they're idiots. <laughs> I think they're absolute idiots. And it, I think it still could be a bluff. I think I do think that it's um, all the decisions that they make are, are weighted towards political rather than. You know, like we were just talking to Harry about whether they make actually make decisions on drug on drugs based on the research that's out there, or rather on the political 
um, ideology or, you know, when they go to sort of like focus groups and they, they test, they float an idea and they say, you know, would you have this or would you have that? And they say no. And then they just say, right, we're not doing it, basically. Yeah. They only have one reason for being and that's exactly. to keep their job. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't think, you know. Let's move on. Yeah. Um, there was a, a Bojo press conference earlier in the week. Is it a classic? Everything's okay. Situation normal. Whoa, get, get boosted now. <laughs> Basically, yeah, no change, no change. But he used some interesting language towards the end, answering Ooh. a question from the uh, the Guardian. Germanic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was Latin. No, I thought it was quite interesting. I, I can see the limit in the value of, of people like me, uh, you know, endlessly uh, saying from uh, our pulpits, you know, come on and, and get vaccinated. Uh, we do need everybody uh, to join this movement. It, you know, there, and, and uh, there are many, many uh, evangelists for this now. And it, it, we need everybody to, 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 to build the movement. People, there, there is a, a big opportunity to turn this around. Nine million people still to get a vaccine. Uh, now's the time. Pulpit evangelists build a movement. Mm. I think he's a cult leader. <laughs> I think he's actually a cult leader. It's not a very good one, is he? No, definitely not. <laughs> no. I thought it was an interesting choice of words using uh, religious terminology like that. Yeah, things piqued my interest like that. I don't know. Anyway, let's move on. Let's move on to uh, Richard Walker. He's the MD of Iceland, oh, not yeah. the country. No. Iceland is a supermarket chain and a discount frozen supermarket chain in the UK. It's quite TV friendly. I got it? some excellent mm. all Good butter. Good had some media training. Um, I got some excellent that. all butter mince pies from Iceland this Christmas. Oh. I'd recommend those. Very good. Did anyone have a prawn ring? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not telling you, you dirty bastard. <laughs> so uh, Richard Walker was on uh, BBC Radio 5 Live and he was talking about... Um, well, the current situation and possible staff shortages because of people testing positive with the Omicron and whatnot and what we need to do. And uh, I thought this bad repeating. We're seeing quite an exponential rise in, in um, COVID-related absences ac across the business since Christmas. Uh, so our total sickness level now is around 11%. Um, that's about 3,300 uh, colleagues, and it, it continues to, to rise daily. <laughs> What can you do to mitigate then? The the CBI are saying that they want the isolation period cut from seven to five days. Would that help you? It, it would appear. CBI is the Confederation of British Industry. Right. For people who are across the pond, they're pushing for the um, light's been done in the States. It's been dropped to five days, the right. isolation period. CBI over here wants to do the same over here. That um, the, if as long as you triple jabs, the impact of uh, Omicron is is um, uh, broadly fairly uh, minimal. And I think people just need to exercise common sense. I mean, a, an awful lot uh, of our colleagues um, are being forced into this isolation period. They want to get back to work and earn money. And uh, if we could cut the isolation period, or indeed get rid of it, as I think we eventually might have to uh, come to because we've got to learn to live alongside you're them. no scientist but you're, you're you're saying that sooner rather than later as in as in as as this omicron wave continues to, to 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 move through the uk you feel the isolation period should be dispatched with yeah i think so because it's now only the unvaccinated who seem to be at serious risk of hospitalization what <laughs> only on the unvaccinated are at serious risk of hospitalization that's not true 
and I think we need to design policies that are fit for for business and society and and those who are vaccinated as opposed to um, the unvaccinated tail wagging the triple jabbed dog. Wow, cool. So let's come back in six months, Richard, and just play that clip again and see that, uh, you know, it's it's only unvaccinated people who are at a serious risk of hospitalisation. Can I reserve triple jabbed dog as a band name, please? <laughs> yes, the unvaccinated tail, like in the triple jabbed jog, dog. We need to reform policy to cater for vaccinated people. You know, society. I've heard that this this more as well about um, moving away from. It's almost being framed as you know. We're, at the moment, we're keeping unvaccinated people safe by <laughs> doing yeah. all these things. Yeah, and I've heard know. it a few times now that you've just sort of played that one as well. Can you picture him, Richard? Moving more. Us first yeah, I've, I've got a photo of him here, Richard Wanker, <laughs> Richard uh, Walker. There he is, Richard Walker, managing director, Iceland's Foods. He don't wear no ties. <laughs> he has colleagues, not staff. There he is, looking there. Yeah, it's, it's the Richard Branson ethos, uh, isn't it? Yeah. You where, know, where did I get this photo from? Hang on, let's have a quick one. <laughs> oh, there it is. Yeah, World Economic Forum. Oh, is he a wealthy? <laughs> yeah, Richard. This is from the World Economic oh. Forum. It turns out Richard Walker is managing director of Iceland. Oh, look, yeah. his father, Sir Malcolm Walker. Sir Malcolm. Oh, oh that's, that's handy, isn't it? Mm. Dad's a knight of the realm. Oh, he'll be a knight city, won't he? Yeah, of course it will, yeah. And actually, it was um, this was the second result on Google. Richard Walker joins the World Economic Forum's Young Global Leaders. Oh, Iceland is. manager, director Richard Walker, was hugely honoured to be chosen as one of 127 new members from all around the world invited to join the WEF's Forum of Global Young Global Leaders. This is an article from March 13th, 2019. Matt Hancock uh, was one of the WEF's oh Young Golden Global Leaders. Oh, my God. Shit. He must uh, be a lot of frozen sausage rolls. Yeah, what did he have to say about it? Richard Walker said, It is obviously hugely flattering and challenging to be invited to join a global community that includes heads of governments and Fortune 500 companies winners of Nobel Prizes and Academ- Academy Awards, <laughs> UN Goodwill Ambassadors and very many distinguished business leaders and social entrepreneurs. I look forward to collaborating with my new co-leaders in helping to achieve transformative change in the world by harnessing business as a power for good. So we know where he's coming from. Mm. Oh, yes, the uh, unvaccinated tale. You know, um, you know, it's the first week back after Christmas. Yes. And you know how easy it is to fake a a uh, a lateral flow test. Oh, orange juice. Or just a red pen. <laughs> oh, right, yeah. Uh, and now that you don't have to go for PCR tests to prove your, your positivity, mm. um, I understand that not a lot of people get sick pay, but a lot of people do. Um, how many of these positive cases... Or absences, do you think are people extending their Christmas holiday? The, the cynic in me asks. I suppose now you mentioned it, actually, you'd have to go for a PCR. Um, do you still get that five hundred pound? No, you have to go for a PCR if you want five hundred quid. Right, okay. <laughs> okay. Otherwise, I'd be positive now. <laughs> well, that's, th- that's not true. I think a pretty good chunk of the positive lateral flows are, are just false anyway. 
There's there's, there's anecdotal stuff as well, isn't there? That it, there's oh, a the lot PCRs, of, definitely. That there's a lot of false negatives. Yeah. False negatives are medically, uh, epidemiologically worse mm. than a false positive because you go out all, you know, say let's say this is Ebola instead of COVID, Omicron. You go out thinking, oh, I'm all right, I can go to work. And then you go out and infect loads of other people and the... They get the sniffles for a day. Carries, well, not with Ebola, but, you know... You, they, the, they bleed from all of the orifices <laughs> and then 50% die. I was trying to crank it up a little bit. But, yeah, yeah. But a false positive... Uh, sorry, a false negative is, is worse than a false positive in a in a terribly infectious and dangerous disease situation. Fortunately, we're not there, are we? Well, no. <clears throat> Although, uh, out of Cyprus, have you heard about it? what's happening in Cyprus... The uh, there's a new strain. Oh, uh, me Delta. It's a combination of the Del- Delta strain, Delcron, Delcron, and the Omicron strain. Yeah. So it's called Delta Cron. Delta Cron. That's amazing. Yeah. So I'll wait to see what happens with that. Delta. Maybe that was the bridge between the missing link. Yeah. No. Uh, what to make uh, Omicron? Mm. No mice. Mice made, Mice. Om- made Omicron, did they? Yeah, yeah. It's um, when you look at it, it's like a splat graph, and it's like it's got the <laughs> Wuhan in the middle, and it's got all the Delta stuff here, and then Alpha and whatever, and Omicron's right down here on its own. And it seems that early in the pandemic, it went into mice, right? Flightless bats, and because <laughs> yeah. of the uh, physiology of mice and their life cycles and whatnot, whatever, yeah. it can accumulate mutations quicker because they replicate quicker and then it's jumped back into humans right okay I didn't jump back into you so mice have saved us not only did they save us in the lab because we like test makeup on them Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy (laughs) or you know sort of what what sort of creatures do uh, labs use when they want to develop new viruses (laughs) yeah mice so maybe it was released yes it was developed in humanised mice as they called it and then it was released in South Africa who knows? We don't know. <laughs> and we'll never know. But it's something to think about. Yeah, that'd be cool, wouldn't it? Yeah, Very the natural vaccine. Mm. Yeah. Anyway, let's move on. Uh, we've done Richard Walker. Um, this is such a crock of shit. Oh, bloody Macron. Emmanuel Macron, he went off the fucking deep end this week. Oh, yes. Yeah. I remember something vaguely. The president of France says making life difficult for the unvaccinated is a big part of his COVID-19 strategy. He made those comments in an interview with the French newspaper Le Parisien. And now some people are taking issue not just with the plan, but with the colorful language he used to explain his plan. Dominic Valaitis is in Bristol, England, reverberating all the way from France to there. Dominic, what exactly did France's president say? crisis in Plotland. <laughs> yeah, good morning, Heather. Well, this was Emmanuel Macron's first in-depth interview of 2022. It was, as you say, with Le Parisian uh, newspaper. And we can show you now the part of it which has caused offence, certainly in some quarters. In it, he says, the unvaccinated, I really want to piss them off. And so we're going to continue doing so until the end. That is the strategy. Now, he's... You don't give a fuck. 
He's comments uh, come, Heather, as the French government is trying to push through uh, new legislation that will bar the unvaccinated from large parts mm. of French public life, from visiting things Everything. like restaurants and using public transport mm. and so on. It is a deeply uh, divisive uh, piece of prospective uh, legislation. And Macron's comments um, have added fuel uh, to the fire of that divisiveness. But as I say, also offended quite a few people uh, as well, especially... Liberté, égalité, fraternité. Unless you're not vaccinated. Well... Yeah. You never like France anyway. <laughs> yeah, no, I haven't. No. <laughs> They're going nuts around Europe, though. It's, uh, it's just keeping track of it. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, the stuff in Austria, and that was the major one, and Germany. 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 Uh, Greece, was it, today? Um, said over 50s, mandatory vaccination for over 50s. Right. Uh, Turkey, have just started the fifth dose. Fifth? Yeah, the fifth, yeah. I mean, Turkey's like, the, like borderline dictatorship, isn't it? The other one? Yeah. The other one, yeah. Yeah, in, they've, uh, they're rolling out the fifth one now. With And the fifth, you have the opportunity to choose for your fifth, Turkovac. Ooh. <laughs> Is it vaccinate you against Turks? <laughs> or Turkeys, even? I don't know. But yeah, that was, I saw that in the daily, the Sabah. What number are Israel up to? Four. Four is the next one. All right, one, so Turkey have gone ahead. Gone ahead, yeah. In the race yeah. to, I don't know what. To have the most vaccines. Doses? No. Yeah. I don't know. They used Sinovac early, Turkey. Did they? Yeah. They used well, Sinovac. China have had no deaths for like the best part of a year, so it's going well for them. Yeah, but people are still being welded into their <laughs> homes, aren't they? They were announcing, were they going to do 30 million tests on that city? Well, <laughs> there were stories coming out, you know, you don't know what to believe, do you? No, you can't it believe any of it. It comes out of China, but... Um, like people have been locked down in a province and they were having to trade, <laughs> trade. they were bartering, they were bartering for food, weren't they, basically, or trading for food. Um, so like swapping sanitary pads for like a, a lemon, um, you know, toothpaste for a nut. Um, but yeah, because, you know, they, they're not allowed to go out um, and buy shit, basically. Disqualified. Yeah, so... Anyway, let's move on from uh, Macron. Let's go to ABC Eyewitness News yep. in the States because we've got a, an update on masks, some new new data on masks. Oh. The coronavirus surge, many people turning to cloth masks when there was a shortage of high-quality medical masks early on in the pandemic. But with the more contagious Omicron variant spreading, spreading even among the vaccinated, some healthcare experts are urging Americans to use more protective masks like the N95. Here's Eyewitness News reporter Kristen Thorne. You better start stocking up on your surgical or N95 masks. Studies are coming out now showing that the beloved cloth mask that... Beloved? No, beloved cloth mask. I'm going to call it beloved. The beloved cloth mask. We have spent nearly two years wearing. It's not very effective. Some people are kind of frustrated. Do you know what they're saying about the cloth? So vox, classic Vox Pop coming up. Cloth mask now? It's not effective. Well, to be honest with you... Uh, 
They don't know what effective is. A recent study conducted by Yale, Stanford, and others in Bangladesh found that villages where surgical masks were worn had 11 percent fewer cases of COVID than in villages where no masks were worn. In villages that wore cloth masks, infections were reduced by only 5 percent. That's one of the reasons why the Mayo Clinic is now asking everyone, including visitors, to wear a surgical or N95 mask. I mean, fuck. How many villages were they sort of going to visit? And how- 600, I think. All right. Okay. Well, that's quite a lot then. <laughs> but I suppose, how do you account for all the different kind of practices between villages and things and all the rest of I had, it? I had a quick look at the study. Mm. There's all sorts of uh, uh, methods of chicanery that can be employed. Mm. Stats. Especially when you just just read the ab- abstracts and you can see that they they went out to prove that mass work. <laughs> yeah, just from the language they use, um, the true believers, as Eric Hoffer would say, true believers in the, mm. the piece of cloth <laughs> that's going to save you. Um, and you know, they found five percent effective. Yeah, I mean, I suppose if you barely statistic- statistically significant, is it? Well, it's above 5%, isn't it? The probability thing. It's got to be sort of within that variant, hasn't it? P, yeah. Right, P, Is it not even 0 point? I don't know. But I suppose... Um, I was going to say something really profound, but it's gone. So I'm going to have to <laughs> say something that's slightly less profound. But I think it's more even... Um, it's more like it's becoming a thing of politeness, I feel, to wear a mask. Do you mind if I don't wear a mask? It's all right if you just wear a mask, you know. I think it's that <laughs> kind of thing, isn't it? Do you not think? A politeness thing now? Oh, yeah, you, you're seen as... Uh, well, that's the idea, is to mm. make it socially unacceptable to not yeah. wear one. Mm. It's programming. The government and SAGE, their own minutes, mm. say that this is a psychological tool. It's yeah. to influence behaviour. Mm. It's, a, it's a visual reminder that there is something happening. Mm-hmm. And that will hopefully influence people's behaviour to, to know that there is something going on and they need to keep the social distancing going. Mm. The actual piece of cloth does fuck all. Do you reckon it were with hats? If you had, like, COVID hats? <laughs> Remember to... Uh, Honestly, if you put it on the TV every night... Yeah, it would, well, it'd have the Advertising works. Thing. Propaganda works. Mm. Yeah. Anyway, it's, you know... You better need to stock up on N95s. N95s. Got loads. Where do you know from the N95s? eBay? Um, Work. You have to wear them when you go into a hospital. I've got loads in the bottom of my my work bag. Just all floating around in there. But every time I go into a building, there's a station. And you have to put a mask on. Do you not have your own sanitised Ziploc bag to... Well, you spoke, you sanitise your hands and then you get a mask. That's the idea. Right, okay. I mean, well, they said don't. the N95 was 11%, did they, in that study? Yeah. What's the R rate of Omicron? How much time is 11% going to buy you in, in stopping the spread? Uh, half a day? <laughs> you know, it's, 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 it's a nonsense. I don't know. Is it not about as well if you've sort of like having, you know... Being a bit of a devil's advocate, is it is, when you when you scale up, what does it do? Does it is it not reducing the amount of cases somehow? Is that not what the idea is? So it's five percent less cases if you wear a cloth mask, ten percent less cases if you. So if you have you know there's eight billion on the planet or whatever, seven billion. So that's ten percent, seven hundred million. So it's seven hundred million less cases. Math. For how long? 
I don't know. Is he all right of Omicron the same as seven? All oh, right, okay, well, you So it's, all you're doing is delaying. Yeah, yeah. Slowing yeah. it down, I suppose. If you're being really generous, you're slowing it, slowing it down, it down. And, and allowing health services to manage. Which for, is fine. For what, if, a day? If, that's I what I mean. It's, it's, it's a nonsense. <clears throat> I suppose that's quite difficult to say. I don't know how you would even figure that out. No, I don't think they know. That's mm. why I don't think it's, it's about slowing down the spread. What do you reckon the summer's going to be like? I mean, after we get through winter and people start going back to work. I'm just wondering, you know, if the NHS doesn't fall over with, with this Omicron, like I was saying the other week, whether things will be relaxed more, I well, wonder. Yeah. You would think so, if it goes away after the winter pressures. Plan B should go away, shouldn't it? You know, maybe the Delta Cron will take over. Delta Cron. Maybe the, the next thing, variant will be nasty. Yeah, that's the other thing as well, isn't uh, it? That's point. They can soon cook something up. I mean, that, that was what was in the article, though. I can't remember if it was in the article or something I listened to, which was, it was quoting all this stuff, and, you know, it sounded like COVID, but they said, oh, this is from 2016, and, you know, 300 people a day were dying from flu, and people were dying in hallway uh, corridors in hospitals and things like that, and they were saying that, you know, all the trusts were um, deluged or whatever, yeah. Um, yeah, for winter crisis every year. Yeah, exactly. Every year, the NHS gets crippled. Yeah, uh, but it's kind of a. This is the other thing they're saying. It's not just going to stop. It's it's a creeping slow death, um, yeah. or a creeping. Um, I, I mean, suppose deluge. It's like a triple whammy. This this winter they've got, they've reduced capacity because they're yeah. closing beds. Yeah, and they've got separate wards. They've reduced staff because people are. Pop, uh, flagging up asymptomatic, <clears throat> yeah, and they've got two years of backlog of <laughs> stuff that they should have been doing, yeah, that we should have been doing. Mm. So, yeah, curtains, it's not good. Five thousand cuts. <laughs> yeah, right. Let's let's move on. Dr. John Campbell. Oh, oh yeah. uh, nurse, <laughs> nurse Campbell. I think I do remember it, it was it was uh, Dan who told me he was a nurse, but I'm, I'm pretty sure when I've been thinking about it, I'm sure you did tell me and I forgot again. He's a soup guy, isn't he? Yes. Yes. Uh, over to, he's brought on the two million. Uh, I know. Subs, subs bar. Fuck. And uh, yeah, he's got some uh, some advice for us. So you know, they know the old adage, eat food. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that one. Thanks, John. No, it's actually... You only know the old adage, eat food, not too much, mostly plants. Is he talking about... Is it, is, do you think he's moving away from uh, COVID? Is he, like, trying to broaden his into, like, general health? Yeah. You only know the old adage, eat food, not too much, mostly plants. Obviously, it's going into like a, it's going to be one of these self self help gurus. Maybe. That, that's not an adage, anyway. What he's talking. Oh, about. Nothing you know, they know the old adage: eat vegan <laughs> sausage roll. You know, I was just talking to Ben earlier about I... um, a, a TV a TV program called Yellow Jackets, and um, when I've been watching it, it's on like a, like streaming or whatever, and the same advert comes on in the break. Every single time, and it's the advert for the muck plant. Oh yes, over yeah. and over and over and what, over what again. It? What's a muck plant? It's a vegan sausage roll, muck burger, um, Big Mac, basically. I think. All oh, right. Have you tried one? Well, it's actually because it's been played like ten times to me. I want to go and try one now. <laughs> yeah. 
Really? I'm kind of thinking I might go down and try one. Yeah. And they'll probably just laugh this at me. This tastes like McShite! <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you know the old adage, eat food, not too much, mostly. Asna! Feces. So, yeah, yeah I'm a Do vegan it. now. You're going to try it? You're going to try the McVegan? I'm not a vegan, sorry. I'm a vegetarian. Okay. You know, you know the old adage, eat food, not too much, mostly. Carags, grape. <laughs> Do you know something's just slowly sleeping into my head now as well? What? I'm starting to think about my day at work tomorrow. Uh. And just before Christmas, before I was off, I went to the local Tesco Express and it had one of these Costa Coffee um, vending machines in it. Mm-hmm. And I, got, I just got a white, I got a flat white, and it was like the best coffee I've ever had <laughs> in my entire life. What do you put that down to? I don't know, but I want to. I'm just thinking about it now, thinking, ah, oh, I can go back there and get one of those coffees wow. and see what it's like again. It's just the experience, maybe. Yeah. From the vend- the filthy yeah. vending machine in Tesco Express. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> it was awful, the actual machine, but oh, God. oh my God. <laughs> When I I, I had a, a weekend job at uh, Tolketh Mill order right. picking, oh, yeah. and they had a, one of these fucked up machines, <laughs> <laughs> and they used to get hot chocolate out of that, and it was like does it the highlight of my yeah. week. <laughs> no name, unbranded. Yeah. It was like you got to a vending machine. It wasn't like a branded Cadbury's label. It was just a piece of white paper with <laughs> hot chocolate in black mar- marker pen on with it. a question mark. <laughs> yeah, no. your options are like tea, coffee. Hot chocolate, some sort of soup. (laughs) Bovril. Bovril, man. Oh, meat drink. (laughs) The co op. Yeah. Yeah. Meat drink. Meaty drink. You know know the old adage eat food, not too much, mostly moth cells. Chest feeding. Moth cells. Oh, God, I had fun with that. Yeah. (laughs) That's a classic. I never sucked any (laughs) ding-dongs. Oh, dear. This is still paused. What's this one? Plants. You know, you know the old adage, eat food, not too much, mostly. Chest feeding. Moth cells. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's all good fun. Yeah. We're going to have to scrap a lot of stuff because it's too late. It's too late to do anything. What time are we? It's like about? 10 to 11. How long have we been going? The second half's equally as long as the first half. I know. Well, let's finish on, on something funny, shall we? Okay. Yeah. Have you ever heard of a TV show called 90 Day Fiancé? Yeah, No Neck Guy. No Neck Guy. Every note's in the clips of No Neck Guy. Joe Rogan. (laughs) I think he's got this, uh, is it called like webbed neck or something? And it means like you can't, this bit here goes kind of up here. So you're trapped. Is it, well, because he's small or he's he's, got a He looks quite small, yeah. Um, and it, it's obviously all set up, but you, if you watch the clips... So you got hairy legs? Probably. I got hairy legs! Nearly n- nicely done. Um, but yeah, yeah. I know 90, 90 Day Fiancé. Please continue. Um, there's, a, there's a, a woman on that, cause she's called Stephanie Matto. Right. And, um, yeah, let's just play the first clip. Hey guys, 
guys, today I'm going to be showing you a day in the life of a girl who sells her farts in a jar. So I like to get things rolling with some beans, a protein muffin, sometimes even a yogurt. Less sugar is better. Some hard-boiled eggs. And today I decided I was going to make myself a protein shake with some yogurt added to it. And oh, I was feeling it for sure. Uh, while I wait for those farts to develop, I like to read. I'm very smart. Love to read. And then after I'm ready to go, I go ahead and, you know, do my work, do my job. I don't need to show you that, guys, but I like to add in little flower petals. I feel like they attach the scent and make it last longer. And when I'm finally finished with my jar, I like to leave a personalized note. I want to thank you so much to the 97 people who've already... 97. And I just want to point out, when you have to point out you're smart, you're probably not smart. Two things. Reminds me of a certain orange man who used to talk about his oh, intelligence. Yes, the orange man is so smart. <laughs> I'm That's like, it. I'm like a twenty thernal something. Come I drink and I know things. <laughs> it's like a modern day witch bottle. Remember back in the day they used to um put a load of like toenails and bullshit in a in a bottle and bury it and really all that sort of stuff. In the old, old days. Right. It just reminded me of that. The other thing it reminded me of is a final segment we had about 100 episodes ago, Come Smoothies. Oh, yeah. That's wow. a classic. <laughs> yeah. Was she selling the Come Smoothie? No, she was drinking her, her own partners. benefit, yeah, wasn't it? Was, yeah. 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 No, this is uh, this is raw capitalism. Oh, right. Purchase their jar of farts, and as you know, they're on sale right now, 50% off of $1,000. So go to my unfiltered and check it. $1,000. And she's sold 97. Any questions? Holy shit. Um, why, why is, like Helen from Berkshire says, why are we not all doing it? I'm not sure I could get $1,000 for my... <laughs> you get 2000 <laughs> I made $45,000 in one week selling... Farts. $45,000. I think it's 45. fucking bullshit. Bullshit. In my jars of farts and ever since my last tiktok went viral i've been getting a lot of questions such as how long do the farts last did i really fart 97 times in two days who buys my farts and why and what are some of my tips so are you ready for some answers yeah and tricks so the first question I get asked a lot is how long do the farts last? And the smell is most prominent for the first two days. But as I like to say, one whiff makes memories that last a lifetime. Because I can smell her. Nah. I can smell her. Now, why do people buy my farts in a jar? I honestly think it's because I have a really good personality. Oh, God. I think it's because she's smart and reads books. <laughs> That's a joke. And also because I'm hot. No. Also because I'm hot. <laughs> wow, she got a very high opinion of herself. She's selling fucking farts in jars, man. <laughs> she made $46,000 in a week. I know, who's the stupid one? Yeah, exactly. Oh. And there's no way... I just don't believe that she's made any. She, she manages to sell them for a thousand. Who has a spare thousand dollars to spend on a, a you, trapped fart? Are you familiar with financial domination? No. Is that like like fin dom? Fin dom. <laughs> okay. No, the fin dom. No. no. People, well, not people, men <laughs> will find some woman, uh, some uh, dominatrix on the internet, right? 
and they will be financially dominated by them. So they have to pay for everything for them or something? Just hand over money. Right. Okay. Like a thousand quid, whatever. Is it like a... That's it, what they get off on, giving oh. their money away. Oh my God, I need to be one of those. What? <laughs> the, the the no, I don't have the money to give Excuse away. Excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> well, you mean you want to be a fin dom? A fin sub? Financial oh, no, domination. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. want to be a sub? I want, a no, I, I want to be the dom. Yeah, it'd be nice, wouldn't it? Unfortunately, we're men. Maybe I could oh, get my sexist. wife to do it. She's yeah. always talking about getting a side hustle as a dominatrix. So yeah, get on why not? Fans. Yeah, sell some farts in a jar. Yeah, you'd have to see what's. I, I don't know what sites these people go on. Is it uh, what's the big streaming? OnlyFans. OnlyFans. Maybe it's on OnlyFans. They start. Yeah, because my wife definitely farts ninety-seven times in <laughs> two days. <laughs> well. That's cash money for you. <laughs> exactly, away. I know. It's just like... It's just pissing into the <laughs> yeah. in air. I know. She's fucking hotboxing me all the time at home. I could be making $1,000 a jar off each hotbox. Why if anyone you, wants why to Why don't you buy? just start surreptitiously just jarring them? <laughs> exactly, yeah. And putting them on, on... Don't tell her. No. Just hear the just uh, hear it, sound it, of the, it, the jar. Echoing around the jar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Reckon we can sell the contents of your chemical toilet to the highest bid. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> when was the last time you emptied it? Today. Oh, did you? Empty it every Sunday. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It doesn't hold that much. <laughs> I mean, I'm in here Sunday night and Wednesday night, so. Right. Okay. Sorry. That's like it's a lot of piss. <laughs> Four liters. <laughs> yeah. I'm a blind man. <laughs> um, the story has a sad ending. Oh. oh no! Because we have an update, Stephanie. She fell a three. <laughs> a former ninety-day fiance star who made a staggering thirty-eight thousand pounds a week from selling her farts in a jar has revealed she was rushed to hospital. <sighs> Stephanie Matto recently shed light on her unusual stream of income, explaining how she utilized her two hundred sixty thousand strong following as her customer base to sell her pungent product, which retailed at a princely $1,000 a jar. At one point, demand was so high for Stephanie's wind that she was producing up to 50 jars of farts a week. However, she may have squeezed out one too many as the reality star had to make a hospital dash. She told Jam Press, I thought I was having a stroke and that these were my final moments. I was overdoing it. Stephanie 31 recalled how she consumed three protein shakes and a huge bowl of black bean soup in one day before feeling that something was not right. With a pressure in her stomach that moved upwards throughout her body. It was quite hard to breathe and every time I tried to breathe I'd feel a pinching sensation around my heart. And that of course made my anxiety escalate. I actually called my friend and asked if they could come over to drive me to the hospital because I thought I was experiencing a heart attack. But it was just because I was hot. (laughs) (laughs) That's such a good personality. (laughs) Stephanie, who hails from Connecticut, arrived at the hospital later that evening but didn't tell doctors about her unique career. Only the changes made to her diet. Uh, It was made clear to me that I wasn't experiencing a stroke (laughs) 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 or a heart attack, but very intense gas pains. I was advised to change my diet and take a gas suppression medication, which has effectively ended my business. Oh, bullshit. Yeah. Oh. So she's retired. She's retired from selling farts in a jar to the relief of her family, but she's managed to find another unique way of making money from it. 
Her clients will no longer be able to own the physical jar of Stephanie's wind, but they will be able to purchase them as digital artworks on the blockchain. Oh, NFT. <laughs> NFT. Yes. So she's doing jarred for NFTs. Holy shit. What the fuck? Flash in the pan. Where are we? What's happening, yeah. man? Yeah. Reality TV, social media. That, that explains everything in that Absolutely. last story. That's where it came from. Amazing. Yep. Ugh. Wow, yep. what a way to end. Yeah. $1,000 a jar. She needs to read um, Prehistory Decoded. Oh, the sweat, mum. Pillar 43. Enclosure D. Have her mind blown. Yeah. Anyway. Shall we, shall we fuck off into the night? Yeah, why not? Yes. It's fucking late, isn't it? It is late. Time to that and friends of you. Tear out of fucking you. So we'll be back. <laughs> back next week, won't we? Is it Ryan next week? Yeah. For reals, yeah? Yes. Show us what you've got. Show us what you got, Ryan. Yeah. How many slides this week? It's going to get updated again, I, I know, know. it. So I think we're going to break 200. Yeah. Wow. What a show. Yeah. I wouldn't be... How lost? How lost do you think he's going to be this week? Um, hopefully not. Hopefully he's fa- he'll find his way. Right, okay. First time. Light the beacon. Yes. <laughs> Kneel before Zod. Kiss my moister cunt. <laughs> so we'll come back. We'll fuck off and come back next week. Yeah. It's been a good one. Yeah. yeah. An Pray, epic one. It's been uh, long. Yeah. Praise Jabalon. Epstein didn't kill himself. Um. Build back better. <laughs> Are you not entertained? Are you not entertained? Okay, see you next week. See you next week. <laughs> I like what you got. Good job. I look like a war-hardened goblin. Well, he's dead, so, uh, you know, in general, you always have to be careful. I got hairy guns. Raisins and sultanas are both dried forms of what fruit? Cut it. Cut it.